The Bible warns us not to swerve to the left or to the right over 16 times, and we know that the devil is a master of using duality to attack and deceive. Today we're going to learn what these things have to do with the end times through the study of the King of the North and the Dark to Light Deception. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Dance of Life podcast. My name is Tudor Alexander, I'm your host today. Thanks so much for being with me. I hope your weather is much better than mine at the time of this video. It is right in the middle of Phoenix, Arizona summer, which is probably one of the worst places to be during the summer. So (laughs) I hope your weather is much better than mine. But nonetheless, I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to be sharing such important things with you today. Today is going to be a continuation of our end time series, but really it's kind of the cherry on the Sunday, the the frosting on the cake, so to speak, the culmination of probably the last seven or eight episodes where we've been talking a lot of important things. So if this is first time that you're joining us, then you have some catching up to do. Please go review some of those previous episodes. I'm going to do my best to make this episode a standalone episode in the sense that if you've never seen any of the previous episodes, this episode will give you some discernment, will, will help you see some big picture ideas that are very big and very important. But nonetheless, in the last seven to eight episodes, we've been talking about these things called dialectics. And we started with the French Revolution and how basically that was fomented by the Jesuits and how it was designed to create this dialectic between left and right. And now if you are new to this word dialectic, you don't know really what it means. A dialectic is a conflict between two things that ultimately is being used to move along an agenda. So uh, in, in, the, in the process of problem, reaction, solution. So for example, let's say I have widgets that I want to sell you. You don't really need my widgets. You don't care for my widgets. You could never even be bothered to buy my widgets. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a problem that you didn't have before so that then my widgets, which are a solution to this problem, are now favorable to you. Of course, you can plug in different words for widgets here, and I'm sure you can realize a few examples off the top of your head, but these types of things are very common these days, and they've been common throughout history because the people in power use these dualities, these invented dualities, because duality is part of our existence, but they create dualities to move along their agenda. And of course, we know that God uses these types of things because God is sovereign, God is omniscient, He is the master of good and evil. He knows what is good and evil. He uses dialectics and problem-reaction-solution type things to bring about his glory and to reveal himself. A classic example would be salvation. Adam sinned, problem. Reaction, the cross, solution, salvation, the gospel, right? And so ultimately, when God is using these types of dialectics or systems of bringing about change, They're perfect because God is perfect. God's morality is perfect. God is the author of morality. God is omniscient. He knows the perfect timing for things. But we also know that Satan wants to be God and also that Satan taught mankind through himself, through the fallen angels. He taught mankind the same lie from the Garden of Eden, that you can be like God to know what is good and evil. And in that umbrella of knowing what is good and evil is this idea of the occult, of really using duality, duality that God created, up and down, left and right, black and white, dark and light, using duality so that you can create the outcome, so that you can be sovereign, so that you can be the puppet master. And that is evil. 
That is evil because we don't know what is right and wrong without God's word. And it's not up to us to be creating problem, reaction, solutions so that we can move our agenda along. This is ultimately playing God. And of course, they will be judged. But this is what world we live in today. And how that applies to the end times is very important because what we're going to talk about today is something that a lot of people aren't talking about. A lot of people aren't even aware of it because they are so caught up in the duality. They're caught up in the duality between things like the deep state and, you know, the the, the light side, the white hats versus the, the black hats. They're caught up in duality between Luciferianism and, you know, uh, I don't know what the opposite would be, but it's basically the great awakening versus the great reset. The good side, the good guys versus the big, bad, communist bad guys. This duality is so present. We're going to be looking at so many things today. I really hope that if you can't watch this whole episode or listen to it, that you listen to it in parts because out of every episode I've made in this series, I think probably this would be the most important. And I don't say that lightly because there's a lot of really important episodes that I've made and in this series that are designed to give you the truth, to give you discernment, to to wake you up to the truth. We talked about Israel and the Third Temple. We talked about who Mystery Babylon is. All these things are incredibly important. So I don't mean to reduce the importance of those topics by any means. But the thing that most people don't realize is that the greatest deception is on the horizon. It's not, you know, the new, the new world order is not the Great Reset. It's going to be something very different. And I hope that after this episode that you will see what the true threat is and not be deceived in the coming months, in the coming years, however long it's going to be. So my goal is to give you discernment because, again, the greatest deception is on the horizon. And you will see what I mean by that, hopefully by the end of this episode. But a quick review... So again, if, you, if you're if you new, if this is the first time that you are here, then I welcome you and encourage you to go watch the previous episodes. This series is designed to be a comprehensive, you know, series, obviously, and so everything builds on top of each other. And so I've tried to review every time just in case somebody's new. But the basic gist is this. We talked about how the papacy is the beast in John, the first beast, and also Mystery Babylon. We looked at how Daniel's prophecies Connected to John's prophecies, the little horn is the first beast. It ruled for 1,260 years. Now, we also have in history a second beast that John saw, and that's the United States. The United States is working as a false prophet. It looks like Christianity. It looks like a lamb, but speaks like a dragon. But ultimately, it's creating this image to the first beast. Now, an image is a representation. The first beast was a religio-political power, is a Christian nationalist union of church and state power that ruled the earth for over a thousand years, mind you. And people forget that. People forget that. This is why they're not talking about these things and they're talking about Israel or Islam or other types of things that are just missing the mark. You forget who ruled the earth for over a thousand years and where that power came from. It's been the same power since Babylon, since the beginning, right? And so ultimately we have to know our history but the, the second beast, which is the United States, is building an image to the, to the first beast, a representation of the government that used to be, which is a blurred line. There is no line between church and state. And that's happening in the United States. We've covered that in depth. All these things I say, if they're the first time you've heard them, 
then again, I, I challenge you and I encourage you to go and watch or listen to previous episodes because, you know, those are very rich content, a lot of history, a lot of sources. They're all linked that you can cross-reference them for yourself and check them for yourself. So ultimately, all that information is there. So when I say that the, the United States is the second beast, the false prophet, I say that with a lot of confidence and a lot of rigor behind it. But nonetheless, this this false prophet, this government, this image that it's building that honors the first beast is as a result of many things. There's a lot of things that are happening in the United States, and we talked about that, how the religion and politics are blurring. We'll look at some of that today. We we looked at how Protestant America is basically fusing back with the papacy and, and Islam. We'll look at some of that today as well. Um, you know, we looked at things like the charismatic movement, New Age progressive Christianity, the prosperity movement, all these things, you know, they're all part of the same plan and plot to basically bring back everybody into a common understanding. And the authority behind that common understanding will be the papacy because they have their hands behind all of it. The divine manipulation of the threads is the responsibility of the sovereign, according to the Art of War, which we remember was written by the Jesuits, most likely. And there's, of course, a lot of movies like Passion of the Christ, The Chosen, The Hallow App, Pure Flix, Angel Studios. All these things are Christianizing culture. Now, again, I'm not against that, but ultimately the Bible is very pessimistic about the end times. It doesn't say there's going to be a great revival and everything's going to be great and then Christ is going to return. On the other, on the contrary, it says that there's going to be a great falling away, a lot of deception, a false Christ maybe. You know, there's going to be a lot of things that seem good because people will take the mark of the beast and they'll be marrying and given in marriage and eating and drinking when the day of the Lord comes. So there will be things that seem good and prosperous and that we won. But in reality, it's the greatest deception there ever was. So we have to be very careful. But this is this is what's on the horizon. And we also looked at Islam, I believe last week, where we looked at all these other things that the, the papacy is using to unite the world's religions. Catholicism created Islam because it sponsored Muhammad. All of Muhammad's closest associates were Catholic or Catholic converts. Islam was created to basically take over the areas where there were Bible-believing Christians in the Middle East, and also to be as an army for the papacy. But in usual fashion, they, they lost control of Islam. Islam became a sovereign, its own little power, and then it threatened Europe. And so then you had the Crusades and all the other things. We're going to be talking about some of those things today. So ultimately, it's, again, the mother of abominations and harlots. This is what John calls Mystery Babylon. And it's true. The more you look in history, it's true. The papacy is behind the Abrahamic family house, the third temple also. You also have, you know, this, this false prophecy that we looked at over and over again throughout this series. And if you recall, during the Counter-Reformation, the papacy wanted to take attention off of itself because everybody was identifying the beast the beast in Daniel, the little horn power in Daniel with the first beast in John as the papacy. They realized, oh my gosh, we are living in this system. And that's a real problem. So they developed a different way of reading the Bible called futurism, where everything is read literally and through physical worldly eyes instead of 
the Pope and the papacy walking into the temple, which is the body of Christ, which is the church, and proclaiming itself to be God, now you had to have a physical temple that was being built in Jerusalem. And some charming guy is going to walk into it. But if you remember from that episode, that's just another dialectic. And we'll look at that. Again, dialectic is just a way to bring two opposing, seemingly opposing things in conflict with one another so that the agenda can move forward. This one says no, this one says yes, this one this, no, no, and it bounces up and down, up and down until it moves things forward. This is the whole point. Look at the world and it runs on these dialectics. It's being run by the people in control on dialectics. And so all these things, remember, the father of Zionism met with the Pope. And then a couple decades later, what did you have? You had a state of Israel being born, of course, out of World War II. And we'll talk about all this stuff too. So there's a lot of big ideas we're talking about today. Make sure you subscribe and go do so at my website, danceoflife.com. Because you never know, some of this info is not exactly kosher for people like YouTube or wherever else this may be. But ultimately, the best way to stay in touch is through my website. But I hope to enlighten you today and give you some truth give you some things to wake you up so that you see the big picture. You could probably spend you know, the next 20 years studying this stuff and you still wouldn't be you know, at the very bottom of it. The point is not to learn everything. My point in sharing the information of today with you is so that you see the big picture, that you get out of the dialectic between left and right, dark and light, up and down, all these types of things. You get out of that dialectic and you remember to walk the narrow road, which again, the Bible warns us not to swerve to the left or to the right many times. So what's happening today? Well, let's start with a couple of popular video covers, which I put on um, Im- Imager. But if you are listening to this, you know, just you can look these up. I'll put a, a link to all my sources as usual. But these are just some popular you know, video covers recently as the time of this video. So I'm just going to read them off. This one, I believe, is from Sticks and Hexenhammer, a Satanist, Luciferian occultist, basically, who is very popular on BitChute. And it says, the youth is snapping to the right fast. Just pay attention to these headlines and we'll talk about them. Uh, the next one's the only two sides, traitors and patriots. Really? Only two sides, huh? This one is Bombshell, Mel Gibson about to expose child trafficking rings in Hollywood in a new documentary. Really? So wait a minute. If you were with me on that last episode where we talked about, you know, the the image of the beast and how the Passion of the Christ was the largest Christian grossing movie. I mean, I don't know if you can call it Christian. It was more Catholic propaganda. But nonetheless, it was a movie about Jesus, supposedly. And it grossed, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. But if you do your research, you realize that the Passion of the Christ is an occult and Catholic propaganda, you know, media. It's designed to program you with certain ideas. And on a deeper level, possibly even, you know, their way of sort of announcing a false Christ coming into the world. It's really weird. It's really crazy, especially if this is the first time you've heard that. But Mel Gibson is a fanatical Catholic who believes there's no salvation for anybody outside of the Catholic Church. He, de- he believes that Mary is co-redemptrix. I mean, he has very fanatical beliefs. The movie Passion of the Christ was based on a satanic book called The Dolores Passion by Anne uh, Emmerich. She was like this nun in the 16th century who, if you read about her, it was very clear that she was possessed by demons. So again, we've looked at all that, but this is, 
this is what I want you to be aware of. Mel Gibson about to expose child trafficking rings into Hollywood. So you have a dialectic. You have Mel Gibson who is virtuous, seemingly virtuous in this topic. And you have the big bad boogeyman of child trafficking. Now, of course, I know child trafficking is real and so should you. Child trafficking, especially some of the things they do, if you know the occult and why they do those things, that's been going on for a very long time. That's There's nothing new under the sun. But this is what they do. They expose part of the truth. And in, in the trauma that you receive by, by learning all this new information, especially if you've never heard this stuff, and what they do with children and why they do with the children, what they do, if they, you've never heard it, you, you are blindsided by one side and you don't, don't, you don't investigate the rest of it. You don't investigate who Mel Gibson is. You don't see beyond this duality of like light, Mel Gibson, Hollywood, dark. You see what's going on? And again, it's, it's part of the dialectic. I'm not saying that this isn't true, that child trafficking isn't true. I'm saying this is the tip, p- typical t- um, tactic that they will use. They will give you some truth and force you into this dialectic of somebody is good and somebody's bad. When in reality, the Bible teaches us that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and the heart is desperately wicked. And ultimately, unless you're in Christ as a true born again believer, then you are a child of wrath. Everybody's evil. That's the human nature. But moving on, this next one's kind of the same thing. Caviezel Media quaking in their boots over the sound of freedom. I have not seen this movie yet, but I have heard that it is the typical kind of programming. And again, it's a very successful movie, especially with the conservative crowd, the people who are awake, part of the great awakening, lion, not sheep. See what's going on here? Jim Caviezel, he played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. He, again, I documented all this stuff. Look into him. Very suspect. And now it's coming out with this movie that is suddenly so successful. Do you really think that the power, again, this is a question that I want you to ask yourself over and over again throughout this episode and in general in your life as you are exposed to these types of headlines. Do you think that the power that has been on the earth for thousands of years, obviously in different forms, but it's been here for thousands of years, the God of this world and his kingdom of darkness. Do you think suddenly now, because of maybe a group of few good and virtuous people, like Jim Caviezel, who played Jesus, you know, our our idol, our hero, he's exposing the dark and the dark is finally crumbling and it's, it's all coming to an end because of human hands. Is that what's really going on or is something deeper much going on and is designed to fool you that the big bad boogeyman is being defeated and we're entering this golden age of light? You have to use critical reasoning and critical thinking. And part of that is realizing that everything, everyone in power is drinking from the devil's cup. And the devil also, and the second thing to realize is that the devil has two sides, the dark and the light. On one side, he's the murderer, and on the other side, he's the false light, the false savior, the one that brings enlightenment and knowledge. And you have Luciferianism and Satanism. You have the dark and the light. Both sides are controlled by the devil. And ultimately, you know, everything is controlled by God. But the way the history is playing out and the way these people are going about their business, there's two sides. And the dark side is being revealed. 
by the light side, but the light side is not the good side. This is the thing to take from today's episode. Moving on. Is this proof of the quantum financial system that is activated? National Quantum Initiative. Again, these are just video covers that people are just, oh my gosh, the quantum financial system here. Do you think a quantum financial system is going to save you? Do you think the people who have held the money and the power for you know, thousands of years are suddenly going to give it to you? Yeah, right. It's more to, tr- to track you and usher in the mark of the beast. Ultimate enforcement and people will embrace it, just like the Bible says. The satanic elite mock God. This is uh, Stu Peters, I believe. Final Days film reveals transhumanist tech to pervert God's creation. So now we're, we're the elite are not just the elite, the big bad you know, globalists, they're also satanic. Now keep all this in mind because there's actually a biblical precedent for this, which is truly fascinating. How there's like the dark satanic side. And then if you want to be on the good side, you got to be with the conservatives, the nationalists, you know, the, the, the quote-unquote Christians, but it, we'll see more about that later. There's another one from Sticks and Hexenhammer. Donald Trump indicted, martyred again by corrupt uniparty filth. So martyred, he's a martyr. He's, gosh, it's Trump. He's the only one that really cares about us. And he's just this rogue billionaire that is immune from all the Jesuits and Illuminati and Six-Pointed Star Club and all these things that, you know, supposedly he's immune to. So, that's interesting. If you believe that, I certainly did for a little while, but you have to remember that nobody is immune. Nobody who is in power, especially who was born on a blood moon, who was inaugurated on a blood moon, who has all kinds of Luciferian propaganda and paraphernalia in his apartment uh, at the Trump Tower, who, I mean, there's just so much on Trump. Ultimately, look, there's nobody that's coming to save you other than Jesus. Jesus is the only one that's told the truth. He's the only one that can save and the only one that is coming to save. There is no optimistic future, not if you know the truth. If you believe that mankind can rescue himself and that there's still good people that want the best interest of you and your family in power and that are working hard to make sure that they can give you their money, you are deceived. There is no such person. All these people are bought and paid for and they will fulfill their roles because the Bible says they will. The people will come to worship the beast. The beast is not a person, it's a system and will be ushered in with this golden age of light. And people will think that we have won. We've defeated the big, bad, evil, whatever. Insert your word, communist agenda, uh, globalist agenda, the Hollywood elites, satanic Democrats, whatever you want. It's all part of the same dialectic of dark versus light. Here's another one. Yuval Noah Harari and the Beast Systems New AI Bible. So no, this is this guy, we talked about him. He's the poster child for this false prophecy that they're trying to fulfill where they're trying to pin the tail on the Antichrist. And this guy is just so obviously evil. I mean, look, if it's one thing you get out of today, it's to learn to not see the obvious. Everybody goes with what's obvious. Yuval Noah Harari is like obviously Antichrist. Not the Antichrist, I mean Antichrist as in against the gospel, against Jesus, against the Bible, against God. He's just he's just so obvious about it. He's in your face and the media is putting him in your face so that you see it and you revolt and you get disgusted at, at his comments like, oh, AI could write a better Bible. Of course, do you think that's not scripted? Do you think they don't give him those lines so that he can create such a revulsion and disgust? in the conservatives to where what's going to happen. 
Well, as you will learn, these dialectics are designed since the French Revolution. The left and right dialectic, the atheist and Christian nationalist dialectic, religion and secularism, these two dialectics have been going on for hundreds of years. And they're on purpose. They're designed to bring people back into a Christian nationalist system. You have been forced to seeing such ugliness and darkness that you are begging for the good cop. The bad cop is making you move to the good cop. Who's the good cop? It's the papacy. It's the moral authority that's going to come in and usher peace for mankind and be the one that's going to provide stability through religion, just like it was for over 1,200 years. You have to remember history. A power that ruled the earth with that much supremacy is not just going away. It just went underground. It went into the secret societies. And it started to control things from the background so that it could come back into glory for a short period of time because at that point Christ will return just as he has every time. Every time they try to build a new world system, what happened? The flood, the Tower of Babel, and of course now with all of this nonsense. But this is this is it. Look at this one. Tears wiped away. Old guard crumbling. Poles grow for Trump. Pray. What's going on here? Well, if you catch the reference, tears wiped away is a reference to, of course, they have this like new age picture of some child, you know, starseed or whatever this is, crying. And, and tears wiping away is a reference to Revelation, the book of Revelation, when Jesus will wipe away our tears and we'll be in eternity, the new heavens and new earth. Do you catch the what's going on here, the play on words? The old guard is crumbling. The, the dark is crumbling. The light is winning. Wait a minute. The Bible says the light wins when Jesus returns. Up until that point, there's a lot of deception. There's a great falling away. There's wolves in sheep's clothing. So what's going on here? Is it really the light winning or is it the false light of Lucifer conquering the other side, the darkness? Because that was the whole plan all along. If you look on your dollar bill, the capstone is an illuminated eye. We talked about this too. But the illuminated eye is the capstone. It's the thing that all roads lead to Rome. They all lead to the final product, which is a golden age, a seeming golden age, where church and state are unified. There's no more division. And the ruler of that system, of that antichrist power, will enforce worship. Maybe it might be some sort of day, like Sunday. We'll talk about that in the Mark of the Beast. There's a couple of options, but either way, we're told that it will enforce worship. And if you don't worship, if you don't partake of that system, you will be either killed or you will not be able to buy or sell. So what is actually happening? And what's happening is the false light of Lucifer is taking over. And the world is all merging into one mentality, one spiritual orientation. And you'll see over and over again as we, we have a lot of stuff to cover and it's all pretty profound. And I hope it blesses you and it wakes you up and helps you wake other people up too because not a lot of people are talking about this stuff. They're really not. WF calls for AI to rewrite the Bible. Same thing, you have Klaus Schwab again, another poster child of, of like this Dr. Evil figure who, again, you have to look beyond the obvious. These people are just so obviously evil that it's in your face for a reason to push you towards a different reality. It's not... The Great Reset is not going to happen, at least not in the way people think it is. People are going to made to think that, oh, we beat the deep state. 
When in reality, you didn't win anything. You just walked right into their plan by playing in the dialectic. They pushed you one way and you responded and moved the other way. And that was their plan the whole the whole time. Here's another one. It's like a TikTok video. I won't play it because it's just a screenshot. But it says, why Babylon is so important? Is NWO, the New World Order, the new Babylon? <gasps> emoji, emoji, emoji. And then it's got these guys talking and they're going, knowledge is power. Boom. Oh my gosh. You know, wake up. I mean, yes, Babylon has been around for a very long time. Spiritual Babylon, mystery Babylon. But who is mystery Babylon? It's not the United States. It's not Israel. It's not, you know, all these other things that people are thinking it is. It's the papacy. And we looked at that hours and hours and hours. There's plenty of documentation. There's no power on earth and in history that fulfills these prophecies like the papacy. First and foremost, a dead giveaway is that it's a it's the great city that sits on seven hills. That's what Revelation 17 says about the woman riding the beast, Mystery Babylon. What other great city do you know? Not a country, not a nation, but city that sits on seven hills. That's the Vatican. The great city that rules the kings of the earth, and ultimately the kings of the earth will give their power to, which we'll look at as well. There's no other place in the world and in history that fulfills it, these prophecies like the Vatican. Here's another one. Mel Kay and, and James Howard Kunster Individual Sovereignty and Decentralization Counters Globalists. And you see, again, look at this. In white, you have individual sovereignty and decentralization. So this is the good stuff. Counters globalism, a dystopian reset. Again, duality. What's this duality all about? So you have on one side, you have this communist dystopian reality that's pushing you and pushing you. No, don't go here. Go there. Well, what's there all about? Well, it's about freedom, individual sovereignty. There's no individual sovereignty. God is sovereign. This is a Luciferian paradigm. It's the same paradigm that we looked at with the founding fathers who all rejected Christianity, who rejected the gospel, who rejected Christ. They were Luciferian Illuminati secret society members. George Washington has a memorial or whatever, a bust that says Freemason and first president. What word is first? It's Freemason. So that should wake you up. So this is, again, just false dualities of like, this is good, this is bad. This is bad, this is good. Look at this on Plandemic 3, the Great Awakening. There's a Great Awakening happening? The Great Awakening was used in the 1800s for having a revival where people went back to Scripture. After the French Revolution, where atheism was started, there was a Great Awakening, 1840s or so, for a couple decades, where people had, there was missionaries, there were Bible presses, Bible colleges, a lot of people coming back to the Bible. That was a Great Awakening. What's happening here? You're awakening to what? What are you awakening to? Do you realize that the occultists have a dark to light initiation? Who's the light? Who brings you the light? Remember, in the occult, it's Lucifer. So they have to blind you and then give you the false light. It's a dialectic. It's it's abuse, really, is what it is. And the world is going through the largest initiation ritual in history. They are initiating the whole world into the false light of Lucifer. It started with the jib-jabs and the virus and so on. And, of course, wasn't really a virus, but nonetheless, it started with that. And now we're moving into the light. All the political systems are switching to the right. People are embracing religion. Religion is being part of culture. 
People are revolting against transsexualism and transhumanism and trans-trans everything and globalism, all the isms, and they're embracing a different reality. They're embracing a reality of good old-fashioned values. Who are all the pundits? Where do they come from? They're either Catholic or they're put on by Catholic people and powers. So ultimately, you have to see that when it says the Great Awakening, what, what are people awakening to? Are they awakening to the gospel? Or are they awakening to some things that are true at the cost of being deceived even further? Do you see how this works? Again, Mel Gibson revealing child you know, uh, trafficking in Hollywood, they give you a little truth, so you're awakening to it. You're awakening to the ugly part of Hollywood, which of course it's extremely ugly. There's satanic things that go on in Hollywood. But do you remember from a previous episode when we talked about who started Hollywood? The Roman Catholic Church. The Jesuits were the ones that had the theaters in Europe that were designed to basically program reality. They've been doing that since the 1500s. Shakespeare, the theaters in Europe, Hollywood. It's all started by the same mother of abominations. So what's really going on here? You have Mel Gibson, who is a Catholic, who knows his history, who is, you know, fanatical Catholic. If you saw the episode that we did on the image of the beast, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. He knows his history, and yet he's exposing Hollywood. Well, why doesn't he expose the fact that the Jesuits and the Roman Catholic Church started Hollywood? Of course, because it's another dialectic. It's designed to give you a little truth at the cost of deceiving you further. The point is to give you something that's true so that your guard is let down, you see you see it for yourself, and as a result, you trust the person. This is the tactic of the enemy since day one. Look at this next one. A massive right-wing reaction is brewing as the gay agenda is forced down the throats of Americans. This is exactly what we were talking about. A right-wing reaction is imminent. Why is it imminent to swing to the right? Because they're pushing all this gay stuff down your throat. And what's that going to do? That's going to push you to the desired outcome. There's a reason why the media is covering all of this trans stuff, all of this gay stuff is pushed into your face because it's designed to make separation and duality. It's designed to oscillate uh, society more and more and more. The more extreme the push, the faster they can get their desired result. Remember, the desired result is a union of church and state, a Christian fascist nationalist system. Now, that's a pretty extreme system. You have To make that look desirable, you have to create an equally, if not more, extreme dark polar opposite. Do you see how this works? So you have the ugliness of this globalist, transhumanist, eating crickets, transsexual, whatever, to make you think, gosh, you know, in, in the light of this, that other one actually looks pretty darn good. Good cop, bad cop. It's all by design. Charles Hugh Smith, countries realize globalism is not the future. Self-reliance is the path forward. Again, you have globalism and communism versus individual sovereignty. You have communism versus Luciferianism. Dark versus light. Be your own savior or let the state be your savior. Either way, don't swerve to the right or to the left. You see the problem with both? Either you can be your own savior. No, 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 don't, don't let the state be your savior. You are your own savior. Of course, they're not saying it like that, but this is what it means. You're your own savior. You're sovereign. We deserve sovereignty. 
This is French Revolution talk. What was the French Revolution about? It was a Luciferian move. We covered all that in the episode on the French Revolution. There's nothing about human rights and good stuff coming out of the French Revolution. It was a dialectic designed to bring people back to the Mother Church. And it was fomented by the same people in control as today, as all time. It's going to be biblical. Where we go when we go all. Of course, you know where this is from, and you know this catchphrase. Well, look at look at the way these things are shaping up to be. They're, they're fusing sort of this Christian, semi-Christian, pseudo-Christian, all the Christian imagery, like, Wipe away the tears, and of course that's associated to Trump coming back in office and there being a quantum financial Do you see how deceptive this is? Do you see how utterly deceptive this is? It's going to be biblical. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by it's going to be biblical? You mean biblical as in the false prophecy that the Vatican engineered and is engineering currently with the third temple being rebuilt? Or is it going to be biblical as in everybody's going to find out that the Vatican is Mystery Babylon and not take the mark of the beast, which is not going to happen because most will take it. So do you see how this is, again, moving people into this pseudo-Christian reality? We talked so much about this in the Image of the Beast episode. Here's another one. We are inside the collapse of the deep state power structures. Oh my gosh, the, the system that's been ruling the world is finally collapsing. And that's because a couple of really good guys who love you and your family somehow made it with all that power and influence and were not corrupted by the devil, even though you could never enter into such a system without the gatekeepers who allow you in at the cost of your soul. But these good people just care about us so much that they're working behind the clock or, you know, you know all 24-7 of the, the time just to basically bring about this world solution so that you can have a prosperous life and, you know, live forever. Do you see where, where this is coming from? It's the dragon speaking that he's going to offer you eternal life. He's going to offer you salvation through a worldly outcome. There is no worldly outcome that will save you. Jesus is going to return. And before he returns, there'll be a mark of the beast. There'll be a false light. There'll be a one world system. And people will take the mark of the beast thinking that they're, they're great. It's a great idea because they're going to be deceived. Here's another one. The empire Babylon is falling a week to remember. Really? Biden crimes, empire end. Democrats and Republicans exposed, family pride, pray. This is all just generic, pseudo-Christian, just mixing and matching like prophetic terms to create this thing that seems true, but is actually a great deception. Babylon is not falling. Not yet. It will when Christ returns. We're not there yet. Babylon is definitely not falling. It is to ha- it is about to have her heyday. The woman riding the beast has not yet happened. We are in transition into that reality. But Babylon is most certainly not falling. And if you looked at my previous episodes, you listened to them, you'll know exactly why I say that. From left to right, former leftist speaks out. Of course, you got this guy, you know, in this... You know, now he's wearing, you know, a USA hat and a USA vest. And of course, he used to be a leftist, but now he's on the right. Do you see what's going on here? Do you see that the dark to light, he he found the light of the right. But the right is just as deceived. And there's a lot of reasons behind that. We'll look at that. But ultimately, the right is just as deceived. Going from left to right is not a good thing. 
all you've done is just switched in the dialectic. The left was the first to be deceived by their own kind. The right is up next to be deceived. Trump will probably come back in power. He's probably going to usher in what seems like a golden age, and that golden age will pay homage to the beast. Who knows how it's all exactly going to play out? We had some ideas in the last couple episodes, but the future reality is pretty clear. It's the woman riding the beast. The woman is an apostate church, and she's riding the beast, which is a government and kingdom. It's a system. The kings of the earth will give their power to this system, so it's going to be a Christian nationalist system under the papacy with supreme authority over religion and politics, just as every other Babylonian king and empire has always strived for. This idea of being king and priest, which only Jesus is, is a counterfeit of the devil because the devil wants to be like God. And so he has created these empires that are mimicking the truth. And of course, they're evil, but they're mimicking the truth. Babylon had kings and priests, then it transferred over to Rome. We'll look at all this stuff. But look, this is just the same stuff. So ultimately, uh, you have to wake up from these dialectics. You have to see past this duality. These are just a couple of videos I saw, and I decided to screenshot them and save them. And there's stuff like this constantly, and people are getting so wrapped up into it, into the momentum. There's only, you know, the devil always wants you to be in some sense of momentum. He doesn't want you walking the narrow path where you swerve neither to the left or to the right. So he's going to push you. And if he can't push you this way, oh, okay, let me try that way. Let me push that way. Always pushing and pulling at you to go one way or the other, because when you are off balance, you can be manipulated. Do you see how this works? If somebody's standing up straight, like, I don't know, look at martial arts or anything else or a fight. When somebody's standing up straight and whatever, they're ready, you don't know how they're going to move, right? But if somebody is like coming at you and they're very hungry to fight you, well, if you've ever learned jujitsu or some of these other art forms where they use the opponent's weight against them, that person is very predictable because they're doing something that is very off balance. They're running at you. They're clearly in momentum. And when you're in momentum, you are predictable. This is why the devil wants you to go either to the left or to the right. He doesn't care which one. Just go somewhere. Don't stay on the narrow road with Christ. Because if you're on a narrow road with Christ, then he can't affect you. But if you're on the right or on the left, this is how he gets you. So there's a lot of dialectics. Now, one more thing I want to look at is this rising, Republic, rising Republican Party influencers, including Candace Owens, got their start at a talent agency run by an Israeli pornographer. This is, you know, you can look into this. But all of these people, all your idols in the conservative media, Candace Owens and all her contemporaries, Charlie Kirk, they're all just puppets, man. They're all puppets. They look clean cut. They look good. They, they look like the light, right? Again, the Great Awakening. You have the Great Awakening versus the Great you know, Reset. All the big bad boogeymen like Bill Gates and Carl, Charles Schwab, they're evil, no, 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 don't follow them. Follow the good. If you follow Trump, follow Charlie Kirk, follow Candace Owens. Look at their smile. They're so clean cut. They're all about good family values, seemingly. We want to follow them, right? Again, right or left. There's so many dialectics. There's the climate activism dialectic, the social justice gospel. There's uniting around things like, you know, the earth and materialism, uniting the world's religions. We'll look at the Abrahamic family house. We'll look at 
things like the Green Sunday Movement. We'll look at the conflict in the Middle East between Israel and Islam, the calls for peace for that and how that's happening. We'll look at the Russia-Ukraine war. We'll look at parallels to World War II. I mean, there's so much stuff. There's so much stuff going on. We talked about the religion, uh, the religious dialectics in the image of the beast episode where we looked at how Protestants are calling to reunite with Rome. The protest is over. What's the point of being Protestant anymore? We looked at the Catholic charismatic renewal, how the Catholics began the the, uh, charismatic movement, basically, which is uniting people around the beast and uniting them around a common experience, uniting them around the Holy Spirit. Of course, it's not the actual Holy Spirit, but it is an experience around some mystical feelings and mystical things that people experience in other religions too. So look, you know, if you know the history of these things from all the way from yoga and the Indian traditions, we looked at that. We looked at yoga and kundalini and how it affected uh, the orthodox hesychasm. And then you had uh, later in the the 16th century, you had St. Ignatius of Loyola and his spiritual exercises. These are all mystical things designed to subvert your conscious mind and make you in tune with spirits and ultimately to be subordinate. And of course, all the way into the Pentecostal movement, now how the history of that is very suspect. And today with the the charismatic movement, hyper-charismatics, word of faith, prosperity, all these things are tied to the beast because they can't unite around Jesus. Remember this. Remember this too. They can't unite around Jesus because Jesus is the truth. You have to deal with what he said. But you can unite around the Holy Spirit, like, oh, we both have mystical experiences. Who cares if you're Catholic and I'm, you know, Pentecostal or if I'm a Hindu? Must be the Holy Spirit since we're all having experiences. So, yeah, we all believe in the same God. Do you see how this works? They use Abraham as well with the Abrahamic family house. Oh, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, we all have, you know, Abraham as our father. Really? Is that really what matters? Is, is Abraham, remember how Jesus was talking to the Pharisees? how he said it didn't matter that Abraham was their father because the devil was actually their father. He didn't mean that in a biological sense, but spiritually. It doesn't matter the fact that you can claim genealogy to Abraham. What matters is do you believe the truth? The Pharisees didn't believe the truth. And so ultimately, they were sons of the devil. And that's very clear even today. Abraham being a common ancestor to all these different people like the Ishmaelites, the Hebrews, the the Christians of today, which again came from Hebrewism, that doesn't mean anything. What means something is if you believe the gospel or not, because that's the full revelation that was promised to Abraham that would redeem the world. So if you really are of Abraham, just like the New Testament says, the children of the promise are those who believe. But again, they get you because people have poor understanding of doctrine. They have you know, lust of the eyes, they look for physical things and say, oh yeah, Abraham of Canaan House, that's, we all have the same God. We all have the same, you know, religion. But remember that the Jews and the Third Temple and Zionism, all of this was supported by the papacy. We'll look at that in a little bit. Remember, Islam was created by the papacy. All these things we talked about, they're all, they all have their roots in the beast somewhere or somehow. So you have to remember this, because this is very important. These things seem like they're against each other, Zionism and Islam, uh, you know, traditional Catholicism with the Catholic charismatic renewal. 
All these things are dialectics. Again, every time you see these conflicting sides, you have to remember that there is a puppet master behind them, holding them and giving you the illusion of separation and conflict. And of course, the conflict with the people on the street is very real most of the time. Of course, there's a lot of actors, there's a lot of who knows what's real these days anymore, but there is real conflict, but it's a controlled conflict. It's a controlled conflict by the people at the top who, again, are trying to play God. And this is the thing to realize. We also talked about the New Apostolic Reformation. There's a great book called Counterfeit Kingdom, The Dangers of New Revelation, New Prophets, and New Age Practices in the Church by Holly Pivek and Douglas Gavitt, who it's a great book to check out, to, to look at all this stuff that we've been talking about, the image of the beast, you know, word of faith movement, hyper-charismatic, hyper-Pentecostalism, false revivals, all these things, you know, look, the, the world is not getting better. That's the great illusion. You shall not die. Remember what the serpent said to Eve? The world is not getting better. The great illusion is that it is getting better and we're going to come into this golden age and possibly even a false Christ may emerge and usher in a false millennial kingdom. This is why the first 10 episodes of this series is so important that you realize the millennial kingdom is not some future golden age where Christ is physically ruling in Jerusalem. Because if they try to pull that off, a lot of people will be deceived. The millennial kingdom is right now. It's a spiritual reality because we have a spiritual king. And that's been pretty consistent throughout the Bible. And we spent 10 episodes answering every possible question in regards to the millennial kingdom, very clearly with scripture. But there's also political, political dialectics. Again, you have the great resets pushing people to the great awakening, problem, reaction, solution. Flipping this throughout the world, you have conservatism, family values, religious values. They're all coming back. They're all making a comeback. But who is the moral authority behind these things? Ask yourself that. Dark to light. You have, you know, again, all these Republican Party uh, people. Again, do you remember Project Mockingbird? That the, the media was going to be controlled by the U.S. government, by secret service, by secret societies. The media is controlled. Do you think that just because there's the legacy media that's lying to you, that you suddenly have all of these other people that are clean cut and friendly and seem to be rational minded, that they're not part of the agenda too? Good cop, bad cop. The bad cop is a horrible guy. The good cop will come to you and say, yeah, that guy is, man, he's tough. You know, he's really bad. And you're going to sympathize with the good cop. But you forget the good cop is wearing a badge. The good cop is a cop. And he wants you to come forward so he can arrest you. You have to understand they're both playing the same side. Every person in power is part of a secret society or is influenced by one especially one with billions of dollars like Trump. Remember the Knights of Columbus, the moral majority that we talked about in the 80s, how it pro prepared people to have a more Christian nationalist system. Pastors for Trump, all the Christian nationalism coming to play in the United States. It's all moving in that direction. All it's going to take is a charismatic leader like Trump to come back into power, which again, this whole thing with Biden, it was on purpose to make you revolt and just beg for Trump to come back. Do you think that this is all not by design? They've been rigging elections for a long time. Anybody who is in power is in power because they allowed him to be in power. If they didn't, then that person would get overthrown 
and an excuse would be made as to some sort of war like they did with Libya and all these other places. That person is put into power. And so ultimately, if Trump came into power, that means he was put into power. Then he was taken out of the play, out of the chessboard for a reason, because they had to push a little more of the dark stuff to give you an incompetent leader like Biden, who's just so obviously stupid, obviously incompetent, where people are just like, no, we want the good cop. We want the good cop. This bad cop is just so horrible. You have to open your eyes. You have to open your eyes. Everything is moving to a head. All these dialectics we're going to talk about, they're all threads, and they're moving to a head, to the capstone. The capstone is going to be for somebody to come and save the world from this mess. This is what it's all moving to, to a moral authority that will be the guiding light that will save the world. All the threads are moving towards also a centralized world order. Now, how that's going to look is not going to be like the Great Reset. It'll be a nationalist system, but that nationalist system will still pay homage to the beast, even if there's individual nations that seem like they're sovereign, ultimately they're going to adopt this Christian nationalist system that pays homage to the beast, and it's everywhere. They're all going to copy what the papacy had for 1,200 years, which is a union of church and state, and people will think that's a good thing. We are moving from dark to light. So, with that said, my hope is to awaken you with the true light of the gospel, with the true light of the Bible, so that you can see past this false light and not be deceived when it comes. This is probably, again, one of the most important episodes I've recorded in this series. If you get anything out of it, then I hope that you get this out of it, that you see past the dialectic and you aren't deceived. So with that in mind, we come to the King of the North. Now, the King of the North is an interesting set of passages in Daniel 11, and it's really the kings of the North and the South. It's two kings. And it's about this this type of duality between these two kings, which is very interesting. These two kings are kind of warring against each other, and the king of the north wins. And if you don't read these passages, we're not going to read them completely because it's it's a long, it's I think about 45 different verses, but it's a long passage, and we don't really need to read it. You can read it on your own. But we will read a few couple of things from there. But if you don't read this literally... And, you know, you try to pin the tail on the Antichrist type of thing and figure out who's who's the king of the north and, you know, what country is fulfilling that prophecy. This can actually be a fantastic tool to opening your eyes to this duality that the devil uses and that the devil is using and planning on using to bring about this final system. So where are we in history currently before we look at this king of the north? The papacy, if you recall, got wounded in 1798 when the Pope was arrested and the papacy was declared at an end. And then that wound healed in 1929 with the Lateran Pact where the papacy was given back its dominion, its papal states, all that stuff. We also know that the woman riding the beast is a future reality, right? The kings of the earth have not given their power to the woman, which is the Vatican. There is no church-state union yet, but we're moving in that direction, We know the image of the beast is currently being built, where everything is being unified under religion and politics and culture. Everything is coming to a common mindset, like it was for a very long time. Eventually, this dialectic 
of dark and light, left and right, up and down, all this stuff is going to resolve in the capstone that's on your dollar bill, the pyramid of enlightenment, the golden age of enlightenment and prosperity, where if you want to be part of it, you'll have to pay homage to the beast. It'll be a counterfeit eternity. That's basically what it is. It's a counterfeit eternity that the devil is putting on. Maybe with the false Christ, who knows? But either way, that's what's on the horizon. And I believe that the king of the north and south that Daniel speaks about in Daniel 11 is talking about, or it points to this dialectic that the devil is using. I think it does. And it's a very interesting thing. You can read it again for yourself in Daniel 11. But don't get carried away with, you know, literally, again, trying to read the Bible literally and fleshly, but see what what is it talking about spiritually? What are the powers and systems at play that this is trying to tell you? So, Let's let's look at Daniel 11, and we'll look at a couple key verses. Now, first I want to say that, again, in this chapter, Daniel 11, it's a long, it's a long chapter, it's about 45 verses. There's this duality of north and south, where the kings of the king of the north and king of the south seem like they have this uh, enemy, they're enemies with each other, right? They're, they're kind of fighting against each other. It seems that way. But as you'll soon see that there's, some more interesting details. And again, if you pick these details out, it's very clear that this is talking to me. It's very clear that it's talking about something much bigger than trying to pin the tail on who's the king of the North. Is it Russia? Is it the Vatican? Is it, you know, America? Like, it's not what this is about. This is about spiritual principalities and powers and systems using political and, and kingdoms and political tools and deception to bring about their agenda. So how do I know this? Let's get down to breast tax. In Daniel 11, verse 31. Okay, so the verse reads, forces, forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. So in the KJV, again, if you remember from some of the previous episodes, this is the same thing. And shall take away the daily the word sacrifice is added. Of course, ESV, in this case, translates it to regular burnt offering. But the daily, we talked about the daily and what that is. It's it's not referring to some sacrifices in some physical temple being taken away. So please go watch that episode. That's not at all what it's talking about. It has a greater spiritual significance. And it also says they shall place the abomination that makes desolate. So right away we have a connection to... Other things we've seen in the past in Daniel, the little horn power, namely. The little horn power is the one who takes away the daily and who sets up the abomination of desolation. We looked at that too. And the little horn power is the papacy. So that's a very interesting connection. We now have a tag, a little ping, that connects this king of the north and king of the south situation to something before, which was the little horn. Now, of course, we know later in the... uh, in the verses in 36, he says, And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that this is determined shall be done. This is pretty much identical to, again, the little horn power that we saw. And even John's first beast that has blasphemous names and speaks blasphemous things and exalts himself above God and takes the place of God. And all these things are very reminiscent of these two things. So it's very likely so far that this is talking about 
the same thing, which is the papacy, the system, not necessarily an individual, but the system that has exalted itself above God and prevented people from entering the sanctuary by setting up the abomination that makes desolate. Remember, desolation is emptiness. The sanctuary was a plan, or it was a type, it was a physical type. The sanctuary that the Hebrews had in the wilderness was a type for the plan of salvation. Everything about the sanctuary was a physical thing that pointed to something unseen, spiritual, in the plan of salvation through the gospel and through Jesus Christ. Everything points to Jesus. And so if you set up the abomination that makes the sanctuary desolate, the abomination of desolation, what you're really doing is you're setting something up, a system perhaps, Catholic system, that prevents people from going into the sanctuary and being saved. You are setting yourself in between you and God so that you can block people from entering into salvation. And that was the whole thing. Satan realized after the cross that he had to make his own counterfeit religion. It wasn't working to kill the Christians. He killed so many of them through the early persecution of the Roman Empire and even some of the Jews that persecuted Christians. And he realized it wasn't working. Christianity was still spreading. In fact, it was flourishing under persecution. And so he changed tactics again, left and right, dark to light. The darkness of persecution? Oops, that's not working. Well, let me try the other side. Let me try the false light. Let me try my own counterfeit religion. So instead of persecuting people, which obviously gives them spiritual strength, we're going to seduce them. We're going to integrate them into a worldly system. That way they will not be saved, and they'll do so through seduction. So either desire or fear, dark or light. Do you understand what's going on here? I really hope you do. This is such an important episode. But moving on, so, so far he's associated with taking the daily. He's also, you know, this uh, figure that's going to exalt himself above God. It's just like, you know, the man of lawlessness in Second Thess- Thessalonians, just like the little horn in Daniel 8. So there's a lot of similar things. Um, and he also, the desire of women, you know, he has this, uh, Daniel verse 37 and 11 says, Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. So this could be a reference to being a homosexual. This could be a reference to the papacy being, you know, obviously, you know, celibate, quote unquote. And it might just be that he's not distracted by women. He's going to be just purely focused on evil. I mean, who knows? You know, this, this little horn power has a representative, which is, again, the papacy has a representative in the Pope. He's the king and the priest. Just like Pontifex Maximus, just like that title as old as time. King and priest, the great bridge builder, the bridge between heaven and earth. Which is, again, all these things are counterfeits of the real truth, which is in Christ. But here's here's the kicker, okay? Here's the kicker. Verse 27, a little earlier. 27 through 28. And both these king's hearts shall be to do mischief, and they shall speak lies at one table. Take note of this line. They shall speak lies at one table, meaning they are part of the same table, but it shall not prosper for yet the end shall be at the time appointed. Then shall he return return into his land with great riches and his heart shall be against the holy covenant and he shall do exploits and return to his own land. So you've got these powers that are looking to do mischief. Well, specifically what kind of mischief? Well, obviously... The connection is there, that the mischief is against 
the church, Christ against the saints. It's a persecuting power. The little horn, blasphemous names, blaspheming God, persecuting his saints. It's the same power. But in this situation, you have kind of two versions of it. You got the king of the north and king of the south, and they both share the same table. This is such a key. This is probably the most important line in here. So I hope you don't miss it. They share and they sit at the same table. So it's talking about the little horn, which is the papacy, which is the first beast. The ultimate goal of this power is to undermine Christ in some way. Another important thing is the duality of these kings is an illusion because they sit at the same table. That's a fascinating line. I mean, to me, that's just mind-blowing. That's in the Bible. Of course it is, because it's the Word of God. But the Bible was foreseeing, I believe, the Hegelian dialectic, these dialectics of left and right way far in advance. I believe that Daniel wrote what he wrote to warn us about this. Again, the Bible says don't swerve to the left or to the right over 16 times. So Daniel 11 is not something about that happened in the past, as the preterists believe. It's not something that's going to happen in the future where you need to pin the tail on the Antichrist and figure out who's the king of the north and who's the king of the south and, you know, is is it, you know, Russia? Is it Turkey? Is it this and that? This is a false way of reading the Bible. Why? Because it puts your eyes on physical things. Anytime you're looking for physical things, you have to be very careful. Not to, It's not to say or to mean that there aren't physical things that are talked about in the Bible. But more often than not, those physical things are shadows and types for spiritual things. They're greater in scope. So we have to be careful. And so ultimately, let's take a look at what this enemy of the North, this king of the North, really stands for. And I believe it stands for the typology of Babylon. Now we know that in Jeremiah 1.14, God says to Jeremiah, Then the Lord said unto me, Out of the North... An evil shall break forth upon all of the inhabitants of the land. Who is the enemy of the north in Hebrew times? It was Babylon. Babylon was the king of the north, was the enemy of the north because they were north. And of course, we know the captivity happened for 70 years and Babylon was a world power. Babylon was included in Daniel's vision and it was the beginning of this system. It was the golden head. And of course, if you remember the statue with all the different decaying metals, in Daniel 2, that statue sets the stage for the rest of time. And this Babylonian system, it's one statue. There's different empires, but it's all part of the same statue. Do you get it? It's all one system, the Babylonian system. The Babylon is the head. And that system has degenerated through different empires, but it's carried its traditions and beliefs and occult practices, its high priest and king title throughout all of these things. And the last iteration is the papacy. And of course, we are moving into the final version of that, which will be a controlled, you know, Christian nationalist system. But it's just been the same system throughout all time. Remember also Pontifus Maximus? That was uh, given to Julius Caesar by Italus III, who was a Chaldean high priest and king. He basically gave the title Pontifex Maximus to the Roman emperor. Then the Roman emperor became Pontifex Max. We'll talk a little more about this too. And then eventually the Pope adopted that title. So that title is very old. The Revelation uh, chapter 17, the beast is the mystery of Babylon. Of course, it's relating to Babylon. Peter called Rome Babylon in one of his letters. I believe it's the first one. Remember the two witnesses? They're killed in the city that is called spiritually Sodom and Egypt. 
So now this is also another important detail. You have Babylon, obviously Babylon ceased to be an empire a long time ago, but spiritual Babylon's been around ever since. And then you have the two witnesses we talked about and how they are killed spiritually in a city that's called spiritually Sodom in Egypt. Well, what did Egypt represent? Well, Pharaoh, if you recall, didn't believe in God. We know from Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. So Pharaoh resembles atheism. Atheism and rebellion to God. It's, it's outright rebellion and basically, I don't believe in God. I'm not going to recognize God. Now, if the two witnesses were God's word, and we talked about how they were killed during the French Revolution, and the French Revolution is what started this dialectic of atheism. Do you see all this is all shaping up so nicely? Atheism and secularism versus what? Versus Babylon, the king of the north, the system of the, the Catholic empire, the Christian nationalist system. That was the dialectic that was started with the French Revolution. You had Egypt, where spiritually Egypt, where the two witnesses were killed, which is basically Paris, the French Revolution, the heart of the French Revolution. And then you had the king of the north, which is Babylon, spiritual Babylon. So let's put this all together now. You have king of the north as Babylon, which we know is the papacy. And king of the south, which again, south physically was Egypt. Egypt was the king of the south. That was the enemy from the south, and Babylon was the enemy from the north. But what are these, again, physical things represent spiritual things in the Bible? You have to have that layer of interpretation in your understanding. Otherwise, you're going to get lost very easily and seduced by very obvious theories that are designed to deceive you. Egypt represents secularism and basically rejecting God and not obeying God, rebellion to God. So you have this dialectic now. The, the occult dialectic to bring about the final church-state union is one side you have secularism and atheism. On the other side, you have Christian nationalism. Neither of them are good. One of them looks good. But it's designed to look good because the other one looks so evil and ungodly that it pushes you into the one that looks good. Do you see how this works? All of this has been in the making for a very long time. You have the dark communist atheist systems that push you into the light of Christian nationalism, Christian conservatism. But again, who's the moral authority that governs the latter? The union of church and state is not a good thing. I am not a Christian nationalist. I hope you're not too. The Bible never commands us to do any such thing, to get involved in politics, to have these worldly affairs, to do you know, create a system that is unifying church and state. People who believe that are so misguided. The Seven Mountain Mandate, remember we talked about that? How that's happening with the NAR movement, national, uh, the New Apostolic Reformation. All these people are Christian nationalists. But who is the city that sits on seven hills? The Vatican. The Seven Mountain Mandate supposedly takes the it's just so funny how it works. We talked about this, but the seven mountain mandate is all the seven, the pillars that Christianity needs to control in society. Are you kidding me? How about spreading the gospel and letting God do the rest? But seven mountain mandate, we know who that mandate is from. It's from the woman who sits on seven hills because she wants a Christian nationalist system. 
Anybody who's thinking that Christianity needs to control all aspects of society, you are very, very deceived. We need to spread the gospel because the true enemy is going to pull off this false golden age by trying to control everything under a seemingly Christian umbrella. And those who will believe the truth will be ostracized and persecuted. So you have this Freemasonic dark-to-light initiation that's been going on for a very long time. We talked about this dialectic many times. I mentioned it many places. The last seven episodes, or eight episodes, I forget whenever the French Revolution episode happened, but it was a couple episodes ago. All of those, this is building up to it. This is kind of, like I said, the cherry on the, the, the Sunday. but ultimately, it is about people giving their power to the beast. Today, we're going to look at all these different things like the common good, communism and secularism as the kings of the North and South, the Middle East and Islam, climate change, and how people are giving their power to the beast. We'll look at all of that stuff today. Very in-depth episode. As usual, these things are a little bit longer, but I hope that they are a resource to you and that even if you can't watch it in full, watch it in parts, share it with your friends, share with people and wake them up. Wake them up to the truth, to the truth of the Bible to the truth that there's nobody coming to save you other than Jesus, to the gospel, to the promise that we have. And regardless of what happens, the the word of he who is faithful is true. And only God can be faithful. Nobody in politics can save you. Nobody in politics cares about you. Trump doesn't care about you. The conservatives, Candace Owens doesn't care about you. They're all secret society members. So I hope you realize that. But let's talk a little bit about Again, the mother of harlots, and we have some quotes on the Jesuits here that will be very enlightening. This is a compilation of famous warning quotes on the evil of the Jesuits. I mean, you can see the Jesuit oath here. You can see how it's similar to the Freemason's oath. There's so many quotes here. I mean, gosh, John Adams, my history of the Jesuits is not eloquently written, but it is supported by unquestionable authorities and is very particular and very horrible. The Jesuit order restoration by Pope Pius VII is indeed a step towards darkness, cruelty, despotism, and death. I do not like the appearance of the Jesuits. If ever there was a body of men who merited eternal damnation on earth and in hell, it is the society of Ignatius de Loyola. Samuel Morse. The Jesuits are a secret society, a sort of Masonic order with superadded features of revolting odiousness and a thousand times more dangerous. Adolf Hitler. I have learned most of all from the Jesuit order. So far, there has been nothing more imposing on earth than the hierarchical organization of the Catholic Church. A good part of the organization I have transported direct into my own party. The Catholic Church must be held up as an example. I will tell you a secret. I am founding founding an order. In Himmler, who would become head of the Nazi party, I see our Ignatius de Loyola. Adolf Hitler was propped up by the Jesuits. We'll talk a little bit about this, but... He was very much a fan of the Catholic system and the church-state union. He saw the light side of the, you know, dark-to-light paradigm, and that's who he was brought up to be, as in opposition to the dark side of the big bad boogeyman of communism. But they were both evil. This is Napoleon Bonaparte. The Jesuits are a military organization, not a religious order. Their chief is a general of an army, not the mere father abbot of a monastery. And the aim of this organization is power, power in its most despotic exercise, absolute power, universal power, power to control the world by the volition of a single man. Jesuitism is the most absolute of despotism. 
and at the same time, the greatest and most enormous of abuses. There's so many quotes here. I mean, Pope Clement, Alas, I knew the Jesuits would poison me, but I did not expect to die slow in such a cruel manner. It's Pope Clement the Fourteenth, who basically abolished the Jesuits. Again, it's two heads of the snake. They're, they're at war with each other, and ultimately they fight for the same agenda, but it's, you know, sometimes they're working together, sometimes they're working apart. That's just like the art of war we looked at in the French Revolution episode. This is Abraham Lincoln. The war, the American Civil War, would never have been possible without the sinister influence of the Jesuits. So many, so many good things. We'll scroll down a little bit farther. Boyd Barrett, who is an ex-Jesuit. The Jesuit order at last reached the pinnacle of its power and prestige in the early 18th century. It had become more influential and more wealthy than any other organization in the world. It held a position in the world affairs that no oath-bound group of men has ever held before or since. Nearly all the kings and sovereigns of Europe had only Jesuits as directors of their consciences, as confessor priests, so that the whole of Europe appeared to be governed by Jesuits only. James Parton, American historian. If you trace masonry through all of its orders till you come to the grand tip-top head mason of the world, you will discover that the dreaded individual and the chief of the Society of Jesus, i.e. the superior general of the Jesuit order, are one and the same person. In Roman Catholic, this is a... an ex-nun, author of the book, The Black Pope. In Roman Catholic circles, it is well known that the Black Pope is the term used for the superior general of the Jesuits. As the Pope is always robed in white and the Jesuit superior general in black, the contrast is obvious. But those Romanists who do not greatly love the Jesuits and their number is not limited, use the term as indicating that the Black Pope rules the White Pope, even while the former, i.e. the Black Pope, is obligated to make at least a show of submission to the latter. We talked about this in The Art of War. Black and white, two sides of the same. Again, dialectics. Looks like opposition, but ultimately they serve Satan, the ultimate goal. Luigi de Sanctis, official censor of the Inquisition. All these things cause the Father General of the Jesuits to be feared by the Pope and sovereigns. A sovereign who is not there, the Jesuits' friend, will sooner or later experience their vengeance. And of course, we'll look at another one, Fyodor Dostoevsky famous Russian novelist. The Jesuits are simply the Romish army for the earthly sovereignty of the world in the future. With the pontiff or Rome for emperor, that's their ideal. This is not me talking. This is Fyodor Dostoevsky, who's echoing the same stuff that we looked at in The Art of War. Moving on. It is simple It is simple lust of power, of filthy earthly gain, of domination. Something like a universal serfdom with them as their ma- as the masters. That's all they stand for. They don't even believe in God, perhaps. So they, you know, they infiltrate. There's so many quotes here you can look. Again, I'll, I'll cite all these sources as usual, but I'm not the one saying these things. I'm just echoing things that have been said for a very long time. The, the di- duality, the dialectic between the Black Pope, the White Pope, the Jesuits, and the Vatican, how the Vatican banned the Jesuits, and the Jesuits fomented the French Revolution, and then they got accepted back, you know, they, they were unbanned. I mean, these are dialectics. The conflicts they cause are real, but they're dialectics because these people believe in the occult. They believe in the two sides in order to serve their purposes. And you have to remember that every level of person is kept in ignorance to some degree. If you want to have the full information, you have to really, I mean, you're 
knee deep, you know, waist deep, neck deep in the devil's soup. And so a lot of these people are playing their sides because that's what they've been told and initiated into. And there's very few people who are at the top who are probably in direct communication with Lucifer, with the devil, and who are playing both of these sides and moving them along according to whatever the devil tells them. But ultimately, I want you to start realizing who the Jesuits are and their influence behind world events, because everywhere you look, that's their fingerprint. They've been banned from so many different countries for a reason, because they fomented revolutions and wars and behind everything today as well. But let's look at Loyola University, a little piece here by Fred Kramer, who's from the Society of Jesus, he's a Jesuit, talking about this idea of the common good, because they are moving everything towards the common good. You're going to hear this over and over again, probably in the future, the common good. So let's see what the common good means in Catholic terms. Critical to Catholic thinking is the fundamental concept of the common good. The catechism following Pope John the 23rd in Mater et Magistra in the Vatican II defines the common good as the following, quote, the sum total of social conditions which allow people, either as groups or individuals, to reach their fulfillment more fully and more easily. So it's very bland, generic you know, thing like, who's the authority behind the common good? That's the question. The common good applies to each human community, but its most complete realization occurs in the political community where there, where the state's role is to defend and promote the common good of civil society, its citizens, and intermediate bodies. Wait a minute. Its most complete realization occurs in the political community? What does the church have to do with the political community and the state? That should raise a red flag for you. Three essential elements. The Catechism notes three essential elements of the common good. Respect for the individual, social well-being and development of the group, and peace, which results from the stability of a just society. Gosh, all this stuff just sounds so good, doesn't it? Sign me up, right? Let's read a little more before we do that. The common good's conceptual roots lie in Greek and Roman philosophy. Uh Uh-oh, that's a red flag as the goal of political life, the good of the city, and the task entrusted to civic leaders. Huh. That's really interesting. A big question on your mind should be, who determines what it means to have a just society? Who determines what it means to have peace? What does peace mean? And who's responsible for peace? And what does peace imply? What do you have to give up? Do you see how this works? All these things sound so good. But really, it's just, again, if you have eyes and ears, and you know your history of who Mystery Babylon is, this is just snake talk, designed to sound good, but ultimately make him the sovereign over your life. And that's what it's all about. Let's look at another one. This is some donation. Okay. Just close it. Okay. Pope Francis, do not confuse the common good with economic prosperity. So don't confuse the economic prosperity with the common good. Just because it's common good doesn't mean, you know, necessarily everyone's going to be prosperous. Of course, you know, there's other other things about the common good that are more spiritual in nature. It's very important. What about Laudato Si? Everybody knows Laudato Si. It's a big encyclical that the Pope, Pope Francis published. And in chapter six, you have a very interesting 
idea of this ecological education and spirituality. The sixth chapter, Ecological Education and Spirituality, shifts attention to the individual believer, families, and communities and invites us to make a difference in small but tangible ways. Consumer choices, the cultivation of ecological virtues such as reducing wastefulness and environmental education for the young are explained as practical steps leading to a deeper spiritual ecological conversion through which the follower of Christ recognizes the true worth of all created entities. Very interesting talk. Again, if you have eyes and ears. The statement, God created the world, writing in, writing it into it in an order and dynamism that human beings have no right to ignore, stands in the hallowed natural law tradition of Aristotle and Aquinas that every creature has in its nature an end, a telos, which humans should respect and honor. So we're bringing in Greek philosophy. That's the Babylonian system. It's not quoting scripture to you. The intrinsic value of non-humans is noted when the encyclical states that the ultimate purpose of other creatures is not to be found in us, but rather in the risen Christ who embraces all things. Oh gosh, I mean, it sounds so good, but what this really means is they're going to bring the world into a one-world system around the earth, the pagan worship of the earth. You'll see more and more of this stuff as we go on today. But again, it comes back to the, what's the principle here? You can get lost in this stuff. I don't want you to get lost. I want you to see the big picture. They cannot unite around Jesus because Jesus is the truth. So they pick different things like Mary with the with the Muslims, like the Holy Spirit with the Protestants, like Abraham with the Jews and Muslims, like the earth with the pagans and New Agers. All these things are easy to unite around. We all have the same earth. We all have the same Holy Spirit, which we don't. We all have the same God. We all have the same... You know, Abraham and Father. Do you see how this works? It's finding ways to unite people that people can find, that emotionally, that hit their emotions, that strike at their emotions, that feel good, that feel right, but are actually a deception. It's very cunning and very deceptive. But if you have eyes to see, you can see past this stuff. So be careful with this kind of stuff, this ecological education. Who's going to determine who what reducing wastefulness means? Do you ever ask yourself that? All these things sound so good, but the assumption, the assumption is that there's a perfect moral authority who's determining these things. Like, yeah, we should reduce wastefulness. Absolutely. You know, God created a beautiful environment and we're treating it very poorly. But that's part of the Genesis curse too. Nonetheless, who is going to determine? Who is the moral authority? See how this works? The Pope is doing all these things so that the world says, you know what, Pope, you're actually, you're, you're the authority on this. Please tell us how to reduce wastefulness. Here, let's give us, let's give you your power. Let's give you our power. Just like the Bible says, the king of the earth will give the power, give their power to the beast. Do you see how this works? The Pope will be the ultimate sovereign authority on all these, on all these things. And it will be a system that is so pervasive, more pervasive than at any point in history because of the technology that we have with quantum blockchain technology. You think that's going to be for your own good? Absolutely not. It's going to be the ultimate control that can enforce the mark of the beast. Whatever that's going to be, you will not be able to buy and sell. You'll be kicked out of society just by the flick of a button. So that's how pervasive this system is going to be. And it's going to seem like a good thing. That's the crazy part. 
Pope Francis reiterates belief that religions must unite in service of brotherhood. Gosh, again, this is the common good, the Jesuit ideal that you have to, every time you see words like this, like brotherhood, this is just a red flag, man. I mean, look at this picture of the Pope and he's giving a speak, Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Way, they give a blessing. This happened this year. Both in his ecumenical pilgrimage of peace and in his message for the International Day of Human Fraternity, what is this International Day of Human Fraternity? Is that really about the gospel or anything godly, or is it about having a one-world order? Pope Francis recently called for religions to increasingly intertwine in the service of brotherhood. What brotherhood does a Christian have with a Muslim who rejects Christ? I have no brotherhood with a Muslim. I have respect for them as God's creation and love for them to show them the truth but they are not brothers until they accept the gospel. If they reject the gospel, they are not children of the promise. They are children of wrath. We are adopted into the family of God when we accept the gospel. Once you're adopted, everybody else who is adopted becomes your brother and sister. But you see again, brotherhood. Oh, they're brothers. No, no, they're not. Not yet. Very important that we don't use terms that the Bible uses in ways that it's not used. But if you're the devil and your your goal is to deceive and create a one-world system, then you will do that. This is from Church Militant. We talked about this organization in the Image of the Beast episode. Catholic organization that's very politically involved. Vatican Hindu talks aim at building a new humanism. Again, it's got this Vatican Cardinal here with a Hindu authority. Hindu scholars attack false premise of Fratelli Tutti-based dialogue. The Vatican has held talks with Hindu leaders with the, glo- with the goal of building a new humanism. There again, humanism is from the French Revolution. It's a Luciferian ideal. By drawing together Pope Francis encyclical Fratelli Tutti, all brothers, we're all brothers, yes, we're all brothers. No, we're brothers in Christ. Again, do you see how they bypass Jesus all the time, without fail? With the contested Hindu concept of Vasudhaiva Kandumbakam, the whole cosmos is one family. So they're trying to, again, who inspired Hinduism? If you know your history, it's the same thing. It's Satan and the fallen angels. Who's behind the Vatican? Satan and his consort. So is it any surprise that there's commonalities? Look, you all brothers, we're all brothers. You guys believe the same thing. We have the same God. On Wednesday, the Vatican Dicastery for the Interfaith Dialogue, whatever that is, joined with representatives from the Hindu Forum of Europe and the Italian Hindu Union for a meeting on the, on the theme of Hindus and Christians in Europe, building together a fraternity-based new humanism. I mean, it's just like, if you see past this stuff, it's so obvious. It's just so obvious. We are brothers with other people who have accepted and submitted their life to Christ. Brothers and sisters, we may differ on opinions, we may differ on eschatology, end times views, we may differ on doctrine, and that's okay. Certain things, you know, you can differ on. But if I believe that Jesus is God, and he's the Savior, and there's no other way to the Father except through him, and you're a Muslim, or you're a pagan, and you believe that Jesus was either a good teacher, or he wasn't God for sure, and, you know, he's not... He didn't atone for my sins. Then how can I, you and I be brothers? What does it say to Christ if you call somebody like that a brother? 
What does it say to Christ if you call everyone a brother? Really? Even the people who are Satanists who tear up the Bible? Even those people in the carnival in, in Brazil late earlier this year that were parading, or I can't even talk about it. It's just so blasphemous. They were parading around with this mockery of this guy dressed as Jesus and this other guy dressed as the devil and he's like throwing a pitchfork at him. I mean, those people are not your brothers if you are uh, worshiping Christ. They're not your brothers at all. They need the gospel. They're children of wrath. And so this idea, again, is designed to skirt and side skirt the truth with emotion and with these dialectics to bring everybody back into the mother church. This is a book called Born in Blood, uh, The Lost Secrets of Freemasonry by John Robinson, 1989. Very interesting book, but there's a, a little quote here that I want you to be familiar with. As recently as April 1948, this is on page 310 of the book. As recently as April 1948, the official Jesuit publication Civilita Catolica made it clear that when Catholics in any country are in the minority, the church will ask for religious freedom for all. Another Jesuit term you need to be familiar with. The common good, the religious freedom, brotherhood, all those things are red flags. But when the majority is Catholic, all other creeds will be denied legal existence. Leo XIII would have agreed with the Jesuit statement, and the Jesuit statement is the following. I'm just going to read it here really quick. The, the Roman Catholic Church, being convinced through its divine prerogatives of being the only true church, must demand the right of freedom for herself alone, because such a right can only be possessed by truth, never by error. As to the other religions, the church will certainly never draw the sword, but she will require that by legitimate means they shall not be allowed to propagate false doctrine. Consequently, in a state where the majority of the people are Catholic, the church will require that legal existence be denied to error, and that if religious minorities actually exist, that they shall have only de facto existence without opportunity to spread their beliefs. In some countries, Catholics will be obliged to ask for full religious freedom for all, resigned to cohabitate where they alone should rightfully be allowed to live. But in doing this, the church does not renounce her thesis, which remains at the most imperative of her laws, but merely adapts herself to the de facto conditions which must be taken into account in practical affairs. So in countries where there are, you know, there's not so much religious freedom for the Catholic Church to propagate itself, it will always be about religious freedom. But in countries where it already has that freedom, then it's going to do everything it can to subvert other views and either in, indoctrinate them and, and bring, bring them into the church or subvert them altogether. It really just depends on the situation. But again, you should know, and this should not be a surprise for you if you've tuned into the previous episodes, especially since Mystery Babylon, and we looked at all those things again. These, this is nothing new. The big question, the million-dollar question is this. Who decides what is the common good? Who is the authority that decides what is the common good? If God himself was speaking and saying the common good, then that would be the authority to trust, and his decisions would be sound. But God is not talking about the common good. In fact, the common good is not even mentioned in the Bible. No such thing is mentioned. Religious freedom and tolerance is not mentioned in the Bible. These things are not taught. They are Jesuit communist ideals designed to bring the state, and the church into one power, which was what it had for a very long time. 
that beast system is not going anywhere. It's just coming back. It went underground a little bit, but it's coming back. So despite things sounding or looking good in the future, the near future, remember this. Who is the authority that says what the common good is, what all these things are? Wastefulness, religious freedom. Who is the authority that's saying that? It's not God. It's not, you know, the Bible's not saying these things. So somebody is coming up with a definition for how these things are defined. And if you look into that somebody, you'll realize it's the same power. It's this mystery Babylon. It's the same power that's been throughout history trying to define what is good and evil. Since the Garden of Eden, right? What did the devil tell Eve? You don't need God. You can you can be your own sovereign. Let me show you how to define good and evil. Let me be the light bearer that brings enlightenment to you so that you're not in darkness. Do you see how this works? The devil inverts the truth to make it dark and then he brings in the light. Or sometimes he just shows you his dark side, abuses you, traumatizes you so that you can accept his false light. This is what's happening. Now, another dialectic I want you to be aware of, and we'll put all these together, but I wanted you to realize the common good and all these things and what they're moving towards because everything is tied together. There's a big dialectic right now between communism and secularism and nationalism and ultimately Christian nationalism and religion. And the question is this, who started these things? And if you know the truth, that it's all part of the same beast system, the French Revolution started this dialectic because there was monarchies, and monarchies were kind of a problem, especially with the Reformation. They needed more grassroots things, and so they started the French Revolution to have a dialectic between atheism that would push people, push, 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 back into Christian nationalism. We want that that power again. It's so hungry for power. But the world was changing, and so they had to change their tactics. As usual, Satan has to constantly adapt his ways because the world is changing. And so that's what happened. You had the leftist, atheist, secularist, humanist, enlightenment come out of the French Revolution. That influenced the birth of all these things, you know, the United States. We looked at how the United States, the Statue of Liberty, it's actually a statue of Lucifer, the light bearer. And of course, that's because the United States has a special role to bring the light, the false light. That's what we're going to be doing in the United States. We're going to be bringing the false light system to the world. So when Trump comes back or whoever is going to come back in his place, if he doesn't come, we'll bring the false light. And it's going to start here in the States and it's going to expand to the rest of the world, this false light system of Christian nationalism. And again, if you think that that's crazy, if that sounds really crazy to you, please go back and watch the previous episodes or listen to them uh, because it's not crazy at all. It's a very crazy assertion. But the truth is crazy. The truth is crazy. But of course, you have today this secularist, communist, you know, World Economic Forum, Noah Yuval Harari, Great Reset, Klaus Schwab. They're the big bad boogeyman, the communist enemy that needs to be destroyed, the deep state it's, that's coming to get everybody. And we have to have discernment because ultimately, you you have history as a testimony as a testimony as a testament that these things are actually from the same source. Who created the French Who created the French Revolution? It was Weishaupt, Adam Weishaupt, who was trained by Jesuits, the Jacobins, who were Jesuits, 
Illuminati were created by the Jesuits and, and Weishaupt. I mean, all these people are related. They were the ones who fomented the French Revolution. And of course, you remember the Jacobins in their hats and what kind of hats they wore and how that related to Mithra. I mean, it's, it's all occult stuff. It really is. And you have this, it's a very old thing. The French Revolution was not the first time that these dialectics were used because throughout history you had, again, the creation of Islam. Islam was supposed to be to do the grunt work, the, the bloody takeover that the, the Vatican didn't want to do. They needed an army to take over Jerusalem. That got out of control. So then you had this dialectic between dark and light, Islam versus the papacy. Islam almost conquered Europe, but then you had the Crusades, which pushed them back. And of course, the Ottoman Empire came back up, and then that got subverted. So you had these dialectics, but again, it all comes from the same place. Now we're going to read something about, it's it's related to what we have today, but we have to go back in history. We have to go back in history all the way back to when the Orthodox split from the Catholic Church, and how all of this tie, I want you to, I'm giving you this history because I want you to see the pattern, the pattern of right versus left, dialectic versus solution, right? Problem, reaction, solution. How these things happen throughout history will give you a clue and understanding to what's happening today and what will happen. So, this is from, a, it's like a Greek site, I believe, but it's the, the title of this article is t- called The Fall of 1204 and Its Consequences. So just a little brief history. This is after the church split, after the Catholic Church, the Orthodox left the Catholic Church that was in 1054. They split off. They basically excommunicated one another. And the Eastern Orthodox Church was created, essentially. The mother of abominations is not going to let that slide very easily. And so during the Crusades, which if you remember, all of that started because of Islam, eventually, right? That's what led to the Crusades. During the Fourth Crusade, you had basically this pillaging that the papacy did of the Eastern, you know, the Eastern Bloc, the Eastern Orthodox, and it just we'll read about it here, and how these people eventually left. They left to Russia. Russia became Christian, and there was a lot of enmity between the papacy and and the Eastern Orthodox, and of course, communism was used as a way to punish them even further and to bring about their world system, and to bring about retribution. Remember that quote that we read? If a sovereign doesn't acknowledge the Jesuits, then, well, they'll find out sooner or later that's a bad idea. So let's read a little bit about the fall of 1204 and its consequences. Referring to the Fourth Crusade, Henry Gregor speaks of the atrocity of the West. Colin Morris observes that the Latin capture of Constantinople was was a disaster for Christendom. And Sir Stephen Runciman in his classic work on the Crusades, does not hesitate to write that the Fourth Crusade was the greatest crime against humanity ever perpetrated. Who perpetrated this crime? The Catholic Church. So if you don't see these things, that the Crusades, the Inquisitions, persecution of the saints, all line up with Bible prophecy, then you have to do more digging. Moving on. And indeed, these descriptions are entirely opposite for the behavior of the Crusaders after the fall of the city in 1204. The Christian Franks, remember the Franks were the ones who recognized the Pope initially, committed unmentionable acts of barbarity and savagery. They murdered the elderly women and the children. 
without discrimination. They looted and they seized the riches of the queen of the queens in the cities of the world. According to the agreement, Pope Innocent III also took part of the distribution of the spoils. Worst of all, they set fire to the greater part of the city and enslaved a large portion of the population. Did you know all this? It's interesting, isn't it? On the first day alone, 7,000 residents were killed. But the particular target of the crusaders was the Orthodox clergy. Bishops and other clerics were subject to dreadful tortures and were slaughtered with unprecedented fury. The patriarch Ioannis III only just managed to reach the opposite shore naked and barefoot. Churches, including Hagia Sophia, Holy Wisdom, were desecrated in scenes of unparalleled horror. So this was kind of payback. You're going to split from us. Well, we'll we'll teach you to basically do that. And that was payback. So what happened was the Orthodox fled to the Tsar in Russia. They basically cursed the Pope. Russia became this bulwark of orthodoxy, which it still is today, even after communism. But communism was created. You Remember, communism came out of the French Revolution. The French Revolution is what created communism eventually. And of course, Marx and, and um, I forget the other guy's name right now, but anyway, Marx and his partner, they were just pawns to bring about the Jesuit agenda of communism. All these things were fomented by the mother of abominations. You look into it enough, you'll see their fingerprint on everything. But again, just like Islam was created by the papacy, then that became a problem with the Crusades. The Orthodox split from the papacy, which the Orthodox have a lot of similar blasphemous teachings like the transubstantiation, the veneration of Mary. A lot of things, some of the things they don't believe in, uh, but for the most part, they're very similar. But they left, and so then the papacy got back with got back at them through the crusades <laughs> they tortured and they punished the heck out of them the orthodox fled to russia then communism came around and they started the bolshevik revolution there to basically you know punish the the, the orthodox even further to to create some bloodshed there to say look this is what happens when you leave the mother church and then of course the communists rebelled just like Islam rebelled when they created them for a purpose, communism rebelled when it was created for a purpose. And it became its own, you know, the, the Islamic generals, remember, they thought that, oh, you know, you know, you're not going to tell us what to do, Pope. Now we're a power. We can do whatever we want. And so then the Pope had to militarize the Crusades to basically avoid getting conquered by the, by the thing that he created. Same thing with communism. They created communism to subdue Christian Europe Orthodox Europe, and the communists got out of control. And so what happened? They had to have a polar opposite to the dark, which is where Hitler came in. Adolf Hitler was huge with the Pope. There's a book called Hitler's Pope. Look into it. Uh, We'll look at a little bit, another thing called the Godfathers. But Hitler was brought up, he was... Brought up by the Jesuits, we read a quote from Hitler how he was very fond of the Pope, very fond of the Catholic system. He was the light side of that equation. That was the light side that was needed to control the communists from getting out of control. And of course, he was successful to some degree, but Hitler lost. And ever since then, we've been in that dark paradigm. The communists didn't take over Europe, but the communist system, the communist idea, the leftist idea survived 
And we've been in that dark, quote unquote, paradigm for the last, you know, 60 plus years, 70 years. And now it's all switching. It's all switching to the light. So communism won over nationalism, which was a Hitler, Hitler basically promoted the nationalist system, a unification of religion and politics all in one system. The Third Reich was a copycat of, of again, like the Constantine system of, of the sun-worshipping occult empire of light. But it's not the light of God, it's the light of Lucifer, it's the false light of the occult. So he lost, and again, today you are starting to see that these things are flipping. Now this is a book called The Godfathers, and it's a very interesting book. Again, I'll, I'll cite it there, but these are just some quotes from uh, the different people that have read these things. Donna Eubanks, ex-sister superior. I am now a true Christian by the grace of God after 23 years as a nun of the Sisters of St. Joseph. I can state from personal knowledge that Dr. Rivera is telling the truth about the Roman Catholic system. This is Clark Butterfield, ex-priest. After reading Alberto Part 3, or Alberto 1, I guess, because this is Part 3, The Godfathers is Part 3. After reading Alberto, I realized that I was not alone in my desire as a former priest to bring salvation to the millions of captives of the Roman Catholic system. I am honored to associate myself with the ministry of Dr. Rivera. So you can look into Alberto Rivera, very interesting fellow, former Jesuit priest, and he had a lot of things to say about everything we're talking about today. But all these things are documented. The idea of Hitler being uh, hand-in-hand with the Pope, the idea of dark and light, the idea of the Jesuits being involved in all these political schemes. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is history. And if you learn your history, again, you'll realize that they've had their hand behind everything. So why did I give you all this dialectic history from the Orthodox leaving and then getting pounded by the crusade, then they're cursing the Pope, they moved to Russia, then... Of course, they started communism to kill Russian Christians and subjugate them, but then communism got out of control, tried to be its own power, so they they brought up Hitler. And of course, you know, even the United States got involved to, to try to basically keep that under control because they didn't want Hitler to get too out of control either. So again, they're, they're creating these dialectics to bring about their world solution. And the dark that won the World War II World War II, again, was between two bad guys. There were no good guys. All of history is always two bad guys, two, the good cop and the bad cop. The bad cop won World War II, and now we are seeing a shift because that reality has, has expired. It's, come, it's done what it needed to do. It is peaking through all the things that we talked about earlier with all these obviously evil things like the deep state and Klaus Schwab and Yova Newell Harari and all these communists. Oh my gosh, the communist takeover. This has been going on for a long time, and now it's pushing people more and more with extremes because the time is running short, and they know it. They know the time is running short. So ultimately now, if you look at this Russia war between Russia and Ukraine, it's a very interesting phenomenon. I mean, first off, Russia as a country could have ended that war, who knows how quickly, in a matter of weeks? I don't know. They're a huge power. And yet this is drawn now for, you know, over a year. It's been drawn out a year and a half. It's been drawn out. Why? Why has it been drawn out? 
all this stuff that you hear about Ukraine being the big, bad, satanic communists and, you know, Russia stands for Christian values and Putin is, you know, Christian and he's destroying these Satanists and he's even calling them sat- satanic communists and, you know, satanic Democrats. And of course, Putin is the Christian one. He's the virtuous one here, right? He's the he's the good guy and, and he's against the bad guys. Well, again, there's no good guys. It seems like Putin's the good guy. What does he stand for? Again, you have the king of the north and the king of the south. I'm not saying Putin is the king of the north. I'm saying the thing that's representative in this dialectic, the king of the north is Babylon, church and state union, high priest and high king, versus Egypt, where is atheism, secularism. Just put different words, right? You have Christian nationalism, which is what Putin is standing for. We need to go back to Christian values. Okay, sure, we do, but I mean true Christian values. What he means is there needs to be, moral, uh, to be a moral authority. There needs to be religion. Who's the authority that's going to determine what values we accept as truth? Is it the Bible? I don't think so. Do you see where this is going? It's dark versus light. Ukraine is the dark. Russia is the light. And they're keeping that in the spotlight. They're keeping it in the spotlight to basically bring about this, this duality into your forehead that, oh my gosh, there's evil and we're conquering evil and Putin is for the good. And you got to awaken. You got the great awakening. You have to come and know the truth of the big, bad, deep state. But really, it's just one layer of the truth while the other one is deceiving you with their false light. So, of course, some other things that are important. Look at this. Pope reveals he is involved in secret Ukraine peace mission. Are we, are we really surprised? Vatican plan emerges as more civilians are killed in fresh Russian strikes. What is this dialectic about? What is this? Di- Why is the Pope involved? Gosh, he looks like such an innocent figure and he's just there. He's just trying to help to bring about peace. Well, first off, who created communism? Who propped up Hitler? Who created the Orthodox Church? All these things are from the mother of harlots. So now the mother of harlots is coming in to bring peace where it started the fight. Do you see what's going on? Why is the Pope in a secret plan to bring peace? Because this dialectic, which could have been over a long time ago, Russia is a huge country, a huge military. But of course, it's being drawn out. Why? So that we want peace. Come on, we need peace. This is just horrible. People are dying. We need peace. We need somebody to broker. Who's going to come and bring us peace? We need an independent, sovereign, moral authority. Oh, look, the Pope is here. Gosh, he's so nice being involved in all these things. Maybe he should be the one that determines how things should go. Do you see how this is working? These things are dialectics. There's no good guys. It's all designed to make the Pope look good and look to the Pope as the sovereign, as the moral authority. That's what this is about. This is from the People's Voice. Archbishop Vigano calls for anti-globalist alliance to unite against the new world order. So let me get this straight. A Catholic archbishop is revealing the truth about the global evil communist world order, and he's calling people to unite. In an open letter dated November 16th, Archbishop Vigano issued an appeal to all people of faith to unite against the dark forces of globalism. So globalism is the enemy. It's the dark. 
and all people of faith are the light. And of course, archbishop, a Catholic archbishop, is the one representing the light in this case. Now, if you don't see what's going on here, let me explain it to you. The dark force of globalism, which is communism, which is secularism, which was started by who? The Jesuits. But wait a minute, the Jesuits are part of the Catholic Church. Isn't this guy a Catholic archbishop? So what's really going on here? A dialectic is going on. Dark to light. Communism, secularism is horrible. We should stand up against it. All people of faith, let's unite. Yes, we we have a common enemy, don't we? We don't want transsexualism and transhumanism and you know, people going and telling our kids what to do. We, we want the Bible back in schools. We want Christian values. You know what? Maybe the unification of church and state is actually a good thing. Maybe we should do that. We can't be slaves to this globalist system. We got to be sovereign. We have to be having nationalism back. Do you see what this is doing? He doesn't want your good. He's an archbishop. He's initiated. He's in, he's in the club. But of course, he's against, you know, the left side of things, because he has to play his part. And of course, he's talked about the current Pope, and oh, the current Pope is a communist, and of course, these are just dialectics. These things are so, again, it's it's designed to shift you in one way or another. Either you're going to align with him and say, oh, you're right. Yeah, he's somebody I need to listen to. Or you're going to reject him and say, no, you're wrong. I'm with the Pope. He's doing good stuff. Either way, it's going to polarize you. Do you see what the devil does? This is so important. Gosh, this is such an important episode. I really hope people wake up and see the truth. The devil is polarizing you. He's a master at throwing a little dart at you and getting you to move one way or another. But Christ told us to walk the narrow road, and and having the narrow road means not being polarized so easily. So ultimately, this is a dialectic. This whole thing with Archbishop Vigano and, and him calling against the Pope. Look, The kings in the north and the south, they eat at the same table. That's what the Bible tells you. They're planning mischief, but they're doing so at the same table. This is profound that the Bible reveals this powerful truth that so many people don't see of dialectics. It's in the Bible. Now we know, of course, meanwhile, while Putin is talking about the satanic Democrats and the communist Nazis or whatever, you know, and he's standing for Christian values, what is he doing? Russia still working on historic meeting with Turkey, Iran, Syria. So Russia is working on this peace deal and this historic meeting with, if I can anyway close this ad. Gosh, these sites are so frustrating with their ads, man. I swear it's so stupid. Peace deal with Iran, Syria, and Turkey. So, of course... These people are all antichrist system and, and their beliefs and their, their, the way they treat their people, they're completely antichrist. And yet Russia is working on a historic deal with them while also talking about the satanic communists and people who are basically, if you're satanic, you must be against Christ. Well, wait a minute. What about the people you are working a peace deal with? They reject Christ. The Ayatollahs, they're super corrupt. So... He's lying to you that he's virtuous and, you know, you look people looking at Putin and saying, oh, hey, this guy is the good guy. No, he's not. There are no good guys. There are people that look good and there are people that are obviously evil. This is the dialectic. People who look good, remember, the devil can come as an angel of light. 
And there are people who look obviously evil, like Yovanuel Harari, which is, again, he's there as a puppet to do his thing so that he pushes you into the light, the false light. This is an article we looked at previously in the Image of the Beast. This is called The Rise of the Religious Left. The president-elect and Reverend Senator herald the arrival of a new era in religiosity in American politics. American Christianity is and has always been a broad church. The same week that a band of Christian nationalists knelt and prayed before storming the Capitol building, shouting to a journalist with unintended irony, get the hell out of my way, a black Baptist preacher was elected on the left-wing platform of the U.S. Senate. In the same year the Democrats treated a Supreme Court nominee as a danger to democracy on the account of her Catholic faith, they elected the second Catholic president in U.S. history. Now, if you have eyes to hear and ears, or eyes to see and ears to hear, you will know that this is just another dialectic. Most of the Supreme Court is Catholic. The current president is Catholic. And of course, Trump says he's a Protestant, but he's Jesuit educated. He's surrounded by secret society members. All these people, they all eat at the same table. Separation is an illusion. And it's all moving towards what? Religiosity, the blurring the lines between religion and politics, and coming into a Christian nationalist system. Again, if you think I'm crazy, watch the previous episodes on the image of the beast, on Babylon, learn your history, look at all these things coming to a head. Today, the left is losing ground because of the dark. They're, they're satanic Democrats. So now we're going to be the religious left. Now we're going to look just like you. So now there's both sides are religion oriented. Do you see what's going on? It's all moving from dark to light. In America, of course, you have the great awakening versus the great reset. We talked about it. The satanic Democrats, as if the Republicans are not satanic. No, no, no. It's the Luciferian Republicans. We want the Luciferian conservatives, not the Satanic Democrats. Do you see what this is? Which side are you on? Are you a patriot or are you a traitor? Well, how about neither? I'm on the side of the gospel, that people should learn the truth and be saved before it's too late. Red versus blue, make your choice. (laughs) Again, it's pushing at you constantly to, to polarize. Are you a sheep or a goat? That's another one I like. The Bible doesn't say sheep is a bad thing. In fact, to be a sheep is to be Christ's sheep, is to be a follower of Christ because you acknowledge that you have to submit your life to the sovereign God of the universe. But now it's sheep versus lions. You see, if you're a sheep, oh, you're just a, you're just a follower. You see how they inverted that? That's a satanic thing. Being a sheep is a good thing. I'm gladly and proudly to be part of Christ's sheep, to follow his word and do my best to follow his sovereign will. And ultimately, there's many mistakes that we make, but we submit our lives to Christ as our shepherd. We are a sheep, he's the shepherd. But if you're a lion, which by the way, a lion is only used for Jesus. Only Jesus is the lion. But if you're the lion, what does that mean? You're like God, aren't you? See how this works? It's just so, it's so fantastic and so profoundly cunning that if you don't have discernment, you get easily thrown off. You got to be a lion, not a sheep. All these people posting me, all the conservative friends I have, they're all posting memes. Lions, not sheep. What does lion mean? Lion means you're sovereign. You are the one that's making decisions. You're powerful. Do you see how that's man-centered and not God-centered? We don't want to be sheep. Well, yeah, that's that's the devil putting that little, planting that seed in your mind so that you, again, can fall for the sovereign 
that you're sovereign, for the lie is old as time. Lions, not sheep. No, sheep is a good thing. It's sheep, not goats. Don't be a goat, because the goats are the ones who reject Christ. And some of them will even say, Lord, Lord, open the door, because they looked Christian, but ultimately they were workers of lawlessness. But the religious left is coming up. You have the Luciferian spirit in this country that is moving and moving, and it was founded on a Luciferian spirit. You have other things, too, again, that are just so interesting. All these things are just little dialectics. Boston Satan Con prompts Catholics to respond with prayer and the gospel. I wonder if they gave them the true gospel or they gave them the Catholic version. But this is just so, I mean, you have this priest here with a craw, a crucifix, and he's just super determined, and he's like, yes, I'm fighting the dark side. He's an exorcist, and he's farting, you know, he's fighting the, the evil Satanists. Again, it, it, you have to look at this. Catholicism is mystery Babylon. It is the counterfeit religion of sun worship and the occult worship that Satan created to ultimately one day serve himself. And it's already serving him anyway from all the things we looked at. But Catholicism is the light in this situation. And the Boston, the, the obvious evil that's in your face is the dark. The dark is always the obvious. The light is the non-obvious component. The dark is designed to push you and point you to the light. Good cop, bad cop. The bad cop is in your face and he's pushing at you. Satan Con this year, people were ripping Bibles. It was just, again, it's just obvious evil. It's obvious evil. Like it's, it's like anybody with any kind of education or awareness would say, yeah, that's evil. Okay, that's evil. But... It's obviously evil, so that you revolt, and then when you see, oh, Catholics are responding to the God, well, they must be the good guys, right? And if you are not really reading the Bible, you don't really know your faith, then sure, yeah, let me align with them, because they must be the good guys. There are no good guys. It's really just one side of the occult fighting against the other. To pull you in to this duality and to this dance, this dance of death, not the dance of life which is what we talk about here with the gospel. But the dance of death, which is ultimately to bring you about to submission to Lucifer and to a one world system. So this is what is happening here. And it's obvious if you have eyes to see. Now, meanwhile, you have Vatican confirms renewal of contested accord with China on bishops' appointments. So they have this accord with China. Basically, I mean, you know, you could do your own research into this, but the Vatican is bringing its version of Christianity, it's bringing Catholicism, let's put it that way, to China. There's actually a lot of stuff going on between the Vatican and China. It's really profound. They are nationalizing a Catholic version of the Bible and their diocese and everything in China, in communist China. So communism, which was started by the Jesuits and represents the enemy to the church-state union, is actually serving a purpose. The nationalization of Catholicism in China is going to be a template for sure that will be used throughout the world. And this is, I mean, this has already happened and it's happening in many places in different ways. But again, it's a dialectic that secularism is the enemy of, there's no enemies. They're both on the same side. The enemy part is on the outside and they have to play the game. But in the back, what's happening? It's being used 
to move along the agenda. Remember, these people worship the Kabbalah. They worship duality. They believe in dark to light. And so they are just ascending up their little Kabbalah tree. This side is dark, then it goes to the light. Then the light naturally goes back to dark, right? Just like you see the sun and the moon. God created the two lights in the sky. God created duality. And duality is a very beautiful thing. But when you try to use it to be to be like God, this is the problem. You watch the sun, what does it do? It comes out, it goes over the horizon, and turns dark again. Light turns to dark, then dark turns to light. That's a natural thing you can observe. But in the occult world, this is what happens in their way of doing things. It goes dark to light, dark to light, until finally you get to the capstone, which is the final system, the final result of all of this bouncing around, the final result of the dance of death. And we are actually close to that capstone. That's ultimately the thing. You know, all these things are dialectics. Left and right is an illusion. You know, in the United States, they have Antifa, which is, again, communism, versus what? What was the Antifa against? Stand with the police. That's another one I love. You know, do, do, you, do you have the blue line, the, the black flag with the blue line? Are you standing for the police? Of course, that's an emotional trigger designed to, like, which one are you? Are you with the obvious evil or are you with the good guys? Okay, first off, realize that the police, all police in every city in the United States, is ruled by Freemasons. They all have their own fraternal orders, the fraternal fraternal order of police. Look into it. They're all secret societies. Now, of course, I'm not saying policemen are bad because they risk their lives, but at the top is a secret society network that controls that system. So again, it's who do you stand with? Do you stand with chaos and, and unmitigated evil, which again, Antifa was put forward by the same people controlling left and right through various channels? Do you stand with them and anarchists who are obviously evil? Or do you stand with the more refined evil, which is, you know, controlling your values and controlling your morality and conservatism and all these types of things? This is what it's about. They use real people like real police officers. Again, who these people, they risk their lives for us. And I do support them in the sense that they're human beings And they shouldn't be treated with disrespect because they are, first and foremost, (laughs) law enforcement, right? So you should not, you should be careful. You should be careful. But at the same time, this is a dialectic. Communism, Antifa versus the blue line versus Freemasonry and, you know, uh, unified law and law and order and basically subjugating yourself under that system. Which one do you want? I mean, I want neither. I want to be free under Christ, I want to walk the narrow road. And so should you. Of course, you also have this thing. One more to show you is the Lucius Trust. Gosh, what an interesting organization. You should look into it. We're going to look at a few things. The Lucius Trust has a consultative status with the Economic and Social Council of the United Nations. Interesting. The United Nations is the same one that's all about uh, globalism and evil and all this stuff. And the world goodwill is... Recognized by the Department of Global Communications, the United Nations is a non-governmental organization. As such, the trust and the world goodwill are part of the community of many hundreds of NGOs that play an active role in the United Nations. So this is very involved with the United Nations. But what is the Lucius Trust or the Lucius organization? Well, the name should tell you everything. Lucius, Lucy, who's Lucy to them, 
Lucifer. But let's look at the World Goodwill, which is one of their subsidiaries. The time is long past when the line of demarcation can be drawn between the religious world and the political, economic, and social or scientific. Huh. Interesting opening statement. Spirituality as it is practiced today is in its many forms bridges between higher dimensions of the soul and all that is human. It is essentially concerned with the establishing of right human relations in seeking to live a spiritual life and express higher values through all relationships. Every sincere person of goodwill serves this wider evolutionary process. And so the server is organically connected with those great serving lives, the rishis, the saints, the bodhisattvas of all faiths, the spiritual hierarchy. I wonder who this spiritual hierarchy is. I mean, is this some sort of clique that you got to be in? Maybe fallen angel worship? Let's see. In Alice Bailey's, there it is. In Alice Bailey's writings, the hierarchy is presented as one great community of consciousness. Hopefully your eyebrows are being raised by this point. It is said to be immersed in a quest to understand the mysteries of divine purpose and to hold that evolving understanding before humanity as a living reservoir of intelligent love, the divine plan. Gosh, I wonder whose divine plan it is. The working out of the universal ideas of the plan takes place as humanity responds to higher impressions of the wholeness and sacredness of life and strives to intelligently embody these insights into all areas of thought, activity, and relationships, economic, political, educational, legal, psychological, religious, and so on. Doesn't it sound like the Seven Mountain Mandate that we read in the Image of the Beast? Very interesting, huh? There is today a growing intuitive response to the ideas and principles of the plan as this living universal field of ideas and principles. At the same time, there is a natural awakening of the will to serve this vision and to take part in the great work of building through time a civilization of wholeness and right relations. All this stuff is just dragon talk that sounds so good if you don't have any discernment. But what is this Lucius Trust? This Lucius Trust is a New Age, theosophical, Luciferian, light world order type of organization, if you haven't caught on so far. Alice A. Bailey was a Luciferian. Flynn, if you remember how General Flynn basically plagiarized one of her speeches, praying to the sevenfold rays. Again, sevenfold rays, that's a Mithra thing, that's a occult Luciferian thing. The Statue of Liberty has seven rays coming out of its head and the threefold flame. All these things are about Lucifer. They, they are in love with the devil. They believe the devil is the light bringer. And so ultimately, what does this mean? What is the, what is, why did I decide to highlight this organization? This Lucius Trust is a very big deal. But you notice that they're very much on the light spectrum, right? They're all about consciousness and you know goodwill and common good, right? And coming, you know, into some fraternity, the the great work, the plan, all these things are sound so light and good. And yet they are very in deep relations with the United Nations. Do you see how it's all just an illusion? How ultimately the same UN that's talking about eating crickets and rewriting the Bible with the AI and the Great Reset, they're in bed with the same people that are talking about global consciousness and, you know, spiritual teachers and whatever, all this new age mumbo jumbo that is designed to sound so good. It's all the same table, just like the Bible says. So this dark to light thing, dark verse light, 
is an illusion. It's designed to create movement and momentum to bring about the final agenda. They are playing God by using both sides. And of course, it, the light is a false light. It's the false light of Lucifer. It's not the true light of Christ. In World War II, the dark side won. And today, the light side, which is again the false light, they'll win. They're winning. The white hats are in control. Yeah, who wears a white hat? The Pope wears a white hat. There are no good guys in the military coming to save you. Jesus is the only one. And he is returning. He is coming to save the world. Who knows if we'll be alive by that point in time? Hopefully, maybe. But either way, there are no good guys in government. There's nobody working to save the world. We cannot save ourselves. This is the message of the Bible through and through. Anybody who believes this mumbo-jumbo that humanity is working to create a beautiful utopia and we're going to have all these wonderful things has not read the Bible thoroughly enough to realize that the Bible is very pessimistic about the end. Not in the long term, because Christ will return, but in the short term. The things happening up until Christ's return are very pessimistic because there will be a one-world system. Trump will probably return. I think Trump is their main man. There's too much not to be. I mean, there's so many things about Trump. I'm going to get into that because everybody's talking about Trump. But Trump is probably going to be their forerunner, the one who will take the torch. And when he comes back, everyone's going to froth at the mouth because Biden has been such an obviously evil and dark that the light of Trump is going to be so favorable. They're going to forget all about everything. The fact that he called himself the father of the jib-jab. All the things that, look, I'm not going to get into this because Trump is just a hot topic. But ultimately, look, Trump is going to come back or somebody will come back in his place. Take the torch. People are going to be dying to have the light back. Of course, it's going to be the false light. Probably until then, there will be some more false flags, some more dialectics to push you and push you and push you so that when he comes back, it's going to be, oh, yes, let's let's do this. Christian nationalism, a new world light order where the deep state's been defeated and now we're in this age of prosperity, but oh, just really quick sign on the dotted line if you want to enter this age of prosperity. That's how it's going to work. Who knows how exactly it's going to play out, but it's going to seem great. It's going to seem that we've made it. But this is going to be the ultimate deception, and that is why I've made this episode. It's going to be the ultimate deception. So, next is going to be the Middle East. And the Middle East is a big topic. I've highlighted it in the episode on the Third Temple and how we talked about war in the Middle East with Israel and Islam. It's just all dialectics ultimately designed to bring in a peacemaker, the peacemaker. The Pope is the peacemaker. He's the one involved in all these little deals everywhere. But ultimately, it's designed to create a solution, possibly even, possibly even a false Christ. Because again, remember, the the papacy had to create a false interpretation of the Bible in order to take attention off of itself as the Antichrist power, as the beast system. Of course, they had to read the Bible completely differently, and that's how people read it today. They believe that the third temple being physically rebuilt in Jerusalem right now, plans to rebuild it, is Bible prophecy being fulfilled. It's not. It's a false prophecy being engineered. And all these things that came together with Theodore Herzl, the father of Zionism, meeting with the Pope, and then you had 
couple decades later, you had world the world wars, and basically then that forced the Jews to have their own place in Palestine, which who founded that? That was the Rothschilds. And of course, Hitler was behind that too. He wanted the Jews to have their own place. He didn't want to uh, destroy the Jews. And so all these things moved, moved, moved into another dialectic, and now you have the dialectic of Israel and Islam and the Third Temple, and oh my gosh, the, the, the Bible's being fulfilled because of these things. Or... Is it a false prophecy being fulfilled that is fooling the world to marvel after the beast? Just as the Bible does warn that people will marvel after the beast. So go watch those previous episodes with the third temple in Israel and to see how they are just false dialectics designed to move you in a particular direction. But let's look at a couple of headlines. This is from Vatican News, and it says, Pope and the Grand Imam, historic declaration of peace, freedom, and women's rights. Like, they both care about women's rights. The document on human fraternity for world peace and living together. Gosh, it sounds so good, doesn't it? Again, fraternity is a buzzword. you got to watch out for that. Signed on, mon- on Sunday, Monday afternoon in Abu Dhabi by Pope Francis and the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar Ahmed El Tayeb is not only a milestone in relation between Christianity and Islam, but also represents a message with a strong impact on the international scene. In the preface, after affirming that faith leads a believer to see in the other a brother or sister to be supported and loved, this text is spoken of as a text that has been given honest and serious thought, which invites all persons who have faith in God and faith in human fraternity to unite and work together. Do you, like, hopefully by now you can kind of see through this stuff. Fraternity, again, Look at the, how deceptive this is. Faith leads a believer to see in the other a brother or sister to be supported in love. Very true if we are talking about a believer in Christ and another believer in Christ. Not true if we're talking about me as a believer in Christ with somebody who rejects the gospel and needs to be saved. They are not my brother or sister. They are somebody who I can love and respect and show love to but they are not a brother or sister. They need to be adopted so this can be the case. And again, they say, look at this, all persons who have faith in God and faith in human fraternity. I don't have faith in human fraternity. The Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked, that nobody can trust their own you know, heart and basically we shouldn't lean on our own understanding. So why would I have faith in human fraternity? That's nonsense. But then they, they give you again, all persons who have faith in God. Well, wait a minute. Are we talking about the Judea, God in Judaism, the God in Islam, the God in Christianity. Which God are we talking about? Do you see how this language is just so, again, it's just so deceptive if you don't, if you don't see it. It's just, uh, it's really crazy. But again, this is about the wound healing spiritually. We talked about the wound healing politically in 1929. The wound is healing spiritually. The Islam is being brought back into the mother church. Again, if this sounds crazy to you, just go back to the previous episode on Islam. You'll see how it makes complete sense. Islam is being brought back. The world is marveling after the beast as, as the Pope is the, um, the the bridge maker, the peacemaker. Ahead of Italy trip, Netanyahu calls for Rome to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. What's that all about? Isn't that interesting? So why is Netanyahu asking Rome to recognize Israel or recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. This is a dialectic. 
if they do that, what's going to happen? The Muslims are going to revolt, and then the third temple is going to cause chaos. And then who they're going to? We need peace from all of this. Do you see what's going on? These things are just dialectics designed to create conflict, so that there is a solution, which involves peace and unity. Of course, it's going to be a false unity. Let's look at this next one. Pope Francis calls on Catholics and Jews to work together for peace. This is in 2016, of course. Look at this again. Pope meeting with a rabbi. And again, it's like, what what is this about? This is about unity and peace under worldly, uh, you know, worldly things. Pope Francis Sunday became the third pope to visit Rome's synagogue in a sign of continuing Catholic-Jewish friendship. Oh, well, isn't that nice? During the visit that featured feature welcome speeches by prominent members of Rome's Jewish community and a speech by the Pope, Francis greeted a number of people, including several Holocaust survivors. Again, this is just, if you know anything about World War II, then you know that this, you'll know, let me put it this way so I don't get banned here, but you know what this is all about. Pope Francis recalled the tragedy of the Holocaust and paid the tribute to over 2,000 Jews who were deported by the Nazis from Rome in October 1943. Again, this is just, who started who started communism who propped up adolf hitler who met with theodor herzl the founder of zionism to put all this into motion in the first place so that the israel would have a their own state their own illegal state but their own state nonetheless so that they could bring about their false prophecy all the people who believe in dispensationalism all the people who are looking after literal signs, like a third temple's got to be rebuilt, then we know that we're in the millennial kingdom pretty soon. Do you see what they're doing? Their engine, they needed the Jews to engineer their false prophecy. And so they created all these dialectics. And of course the Pope has great friendship with, with the Jews. What does, <laughs> what fellowship does light have with darkness? Can two walk together unless they be agreed? That's what the Bible says. How can you meet somebody if you don't agree on something. Now, of course, the Jews reject Christ and the Pope being the one who is supposed to represent the gospel is saying, oh no, the, we looked at some of these articles in the past, we don't, not today, but the Jews didn't crucify Jesus. The Jews didn't, didn't murder Jesus. He's washing away their hands. And if we remember correctly, Jesus was crucified by both Jews and Gentiles for a reason because, according to the law, the sacrifice of, a, of an offering, I believe it was the burnt offering, or the sin offering, sorry, the sin offering, had to be killed by the person who is being forgiven. Do you get what that means? That the Pope is saying, oh, no, no, you can wash your hands. You, don't, you didn't crucify Christ. He's saying, no, it's okay. You'll be damned. You'll be destroyed. You're not going to be forgiven. This is the subversive tactic when on the surface it makes you seem like, oh, what a nice and diplomatic gentleman, when in reality he's actually speaking like a dragon. And it's just it's just crazy. People aren't aware of these things but because they've been deceived. This is from Vox. Evangelical uh, America needs Billy Graham now more than ever. Really? Billy Graham, who was a Freemason? I mean... Let's take a look. Graham's evangelicalism was hardly progressive, but it was consistent. It blended orthodox theology with open-minded compassion, whatever that means. I don't know what open-minded compassion means. Like nearly all evangelicals, Graham believed that salvation could be had through Jesus Christ alone. 
but he was willing to concede that those of other faiths or no faith might nevertheless have apprehended Jesus unconsciously and through that faith became members of the body of Christ. So he's holding two completely contradictory views. His language when it came to other religions was largely respectful. In 1987, for example, he told interviewer, interviewer David Frost, we're closer to Islam than we really think we are and emphasized Muhammad's respect for Jesus. Really? Muhammad's respect when he wrote that Jesus was not crucified and he wasn't God? How can how can you say that Muhammad had respect for Jesus? It doesn't matter what respect, like what, that he called him a great teacher? That's not respect. Jesus is God. But ultimately, if you are part of the Secret Society Network, which Billy Graham was, and again, if you studied these previous episodes where we looked at all these things, then you realize the truth that all these people all serve the same God, the same purpose. They're just on one side or the other. Which which side of the checkerboard do you want to be on? Do you want to be on the dark or the light? Choose your side and then go from there. And worldly rewards are your reward as long as you play ball. And if you stop playing ball, then we'll kill you. That's how it works. Now, of course, God uses everything for the good. He uses all the evil that happens in the world for the good. He used Billy Graham, I'm sure, to touch a lot of people genuinely. But nonetheless, we have to have discernment with these things. This is from the BereanCall.org, A New Christianity. In 1999, the Christmas Eve program was broadcast live from the Mormon Tabernacle in Salt Lake City. Seated with King at, no, this is uh, Larry King, with King at a small table was Mormon President Gordon B. Hinckley who, as King intended, came across as the leader of the mainline Christian denomination. Behind them was the famous Mormon Tabernacles Choir, broad loft, gorgeously festooned in flowers, the massive organ towering above, and commercial breaks contained cuts of their choir singing Christmas songs with obvious sincerity. Oh my gosh, so nice. Such a nice little thing, right? King's interview with Hinckley was interspersed with frequent live pickups of Nobel Peace Prize winners South African Anglican Archbishop Desmond Tutu in front of the altar in the Episcopal National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. Everyone's coming together. We all worship the same God. Appearing also was Robert Schuller, telecast from a field overlooking Bethlehem, Israel. To King's delight, both men supported Hinckley and Mormonism as being soundly Christian, and all three expressed enthusiastic anticipation of an inevitable agreement among all religions. So all these people, Protestant, Catholic, Mormon, we all believe that eventually it's inevitable. It's inevitable that there's going to be an agreement among all the religions. Isn't that interesting? So interesting. Here's another one. Let me just close this ad. Chavis may lose ordination for ties to the Nation of Islam. This is a Protestant minister who converted to Islam. The God who called me to the, to the Christian ministry is the same God who called me to the ministry of Islam. Minister Chavis Muhammad, as he is called, said in his first public statement since the church action. There's only one God, Chavez said. The God of Judaism, the God of Christianity, and the God of Islam is the same God. No, it's not. If God is one of if God is one and if we affirm the oneness of God, then we should not allow religious divisions, gosh, those pesky doctrinal divisions, to get in the way of unifying people in need of resurrection, in need of liberation. Yes, we should all be unified around Christ, because that's what the Bible says, that we are one 
in Jesus. And of course, if we are, then we will taste resurrection and we will taste liberation. But the God of Judaism is not the God of Christianity. And the God of Islam is also not the God of Christianity. We looked at who the God of Islam was. We looked pretty closely in the last episode on Islam. Allah is from the word Al-Ilah, which is the God, i.e. the God of many names, the God of this world, the pagan moon God, which again, it's just Satan masquerading as different gods and goddesses throughout history, but nothing new under the sun. But all these people are, you know, calling for union of religious systems. Rick Warren builds bridge to Islam. As part of his peace plan, Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, California, is partnering with Southern California mosques in hope of building bridges of understanding between Christians and Muslims. Bridges of understanding. What is a bridge of understanding, I wonder? The outreach, informally called King's Way, is working to propose a set of theological principles acknowledging that the two religions worship the same God. No, we do not. Warren kicked off his King's Way program in December at a dinner hosted by Saddleback's church, attended by the congregation at some and some 300 Muslims. So again, we talked about Rick Warren in the Image of the Beast episode. He's just one of these heretical agents of the beast that ultimately are helping to shepherd in Islam, shepherd in Protestants back into one world religion and one world system under the Pope. Rick Warren loves the Pope. Remember his comments about the Pope? He's wandering after the beast. Oh my gosh, the Pope is just this amazing person. And, you know, maybe we have a lot in common. Really? Mega church pastor Joel Olstein says Muslims attend his church that his, and his books sell a lot in Muslim countries. We talked about Joel Olstein quite a bit in the last episode on uh, Image of the Beast. Evangelical Christian pastor Joel Olstein shared in an interview this week that a whole group of probably about 50 Muslims recently visited his non-denominational megachurch in Houston and indicated that his inspirational messages on how to live a great life resonated with people in Muslim countries. I have Muslims that attend our church and my books sell a lot in Muslim countries as well, Osteen had said during an interview with Jeremy Hobson for the Here and Now radio program. Joe Olstein, we talked about him and the prosperity teachings that he teaches and how he's leading people into a false gospel. And of course, he also met with the Pope because it's, that's their reward. They get to be acknowledged and given power because they are serving the beast. He Every time, he's a sly salesman, Joel Olstein. Every time he's asked about specific doctrinal things, he just swims around it with his nice, charming Southern accent. And, you know, comes back to, oh, you know, I just, I just preach love, 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 love. And it's all about love and brotherhood. And it's, again, these things should be red flags to you. Because the love and brotherhood that's talked about by the world is not the love and brotherhood talked about Christ. The love and brotherhood talked about Christ comes with faith and repentance and submission to Jesus. Not the love of the world, which is very, very different Hopefully you see that by now. Very different. Joel Olstein, enlarging the circle of love. That is one circle I do not want to be in. This is from the Muslim Times. Very interesting article. Let's, let's take a read. Joel Olstein has no less than a thousand half-hour wonderful presentations about positive thinking, hope, optimism, and success. Most of these are available on YouTube, and a few will be linked in this post. He's a Christian pastor, but I felt like it would be such a loss... My goodness, if I don't share these with our Muslim readers. Again, this is a Muslim site. He mostly talks about God 
the God of the Abrahamic faiths of Judaism and Christianity, again, it's, there's no such thing. There's only one God, and that's the God of Christianity, Yahweh. Additionally, for the Muslim readers, whenever he speaks of the Bible, we would choose to substitute it with the Quran. <laughs> and whenever he refers to Jesus, we can suitably imply Allah or Muhammad may be peace on him. By such simple substitutions, almost all of his presentations become perfectly kosher and halal for the Muslim audience, who can greatly benefit from his oratory and scholarship. Gosh, really, just his charming his charming demeanor, you can benefit from it. Just, you know, instead of Jesus, just put Allah. It's fine. Do you see what's going on here? We talked so much about this in the Islam episode, how Islam is being primed and prepped to merge back with Catholicism. Sounds so crazy. A new commentary of the Holy Quran emphasizing compassion, justice, and human rights. Do you remember who's all about these things? The papacy, the Jesuit common good. It's all about justice and human rights, the Catholic ideal, and connecting that to the state, where, of course, the state, controlled by the Pope, is the moral authority determining what justice is, determining what human rights are. The state has become God. The, the papacy is God in this system. The one who judges good and evil, the one who tells you how high to jump, the one who tells you what's wasteful, the one who tells you what is social justice, what is appropriate, this is what it's going to. And Muslims are walking right into it because they have been primed from the beginning with Muhammad being a Catholic agent and Mary worship and everything we talked about in the last episode with, with Islam. It's all moving towards one world religion. Even the Adventists, Seventh-day Adventist pastor Dwight Nelson says, Allah is God and that Allah is the God of the universe, my goodness. In a sermon on December 11th, 2010, Dr. Dwight Nelson of Pioneer Memorial Seventh-day Adventist Church told the world on air 3ABN and via the internet that Allah is the name of the living God. Allah is the God of the universe. The sermon was titled Star Still Rising Over Islam and can be heard at, and you have the links here, you can check it for yourself, Pastor Nelson further told his listeners, never, 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 it's a pretty, pretty intense statement, never embrace that Allah is the name of Lucifer or Allah is a demonic God. Really, he must know the truth and he's trying to get you to not believe it. Allah is another name for Lucifer. Allah is the name for Al-Ilah, the God. And again, if you study it like we did in the last episode, which we did so thoroughly, please go check it out. Allah is not the God of the Bible. He is Lucifer. It's the name for the devil, the God of this world, the God of many names. And that was very clear. The Quran teaches the seeds of every divine truth. This is what Nelson said, that you and I embrace. No, it does not. Heretic. The doc Dr. Nelson also refers to Muslim, to the Muslim God as the mighty spirit of Allah, which is taught nowhere, anywhere in the Bible. Absolutely heretical. Any SDA scholar who says that Allah is, is the name of the living God, Allah is the living God of the universe, needs to have his head checked and his right to ministry credentials questioned. Yes, I agree. So, look, <laughs> I mean, it's just, these things you could, like I said, you could spend 20 hours and still would not be enough to cover all these things. That's not the point of this episode. The point is to show you that all these dialectics of Islam 
the the Middle East, the pastors for Trump, the the Protestants in America, it's all moving to where all roads lead to Rome. We talked about Catholics starting Islam. We talked about Catholics supporting Zionism through Theodor Herzl. We talked about Catholics propping up Hitler, and Hitler moved the Jews to Palestine, where the Rothschilds funded it. You'll see pretty shortly that the Vatican and the Rothschilds are negotiating as well. So look, all these things have been engineered. Who has their hand dipped in both sides? The answer is Mystery Babylon. Who talked about America being the second beast? We talked about that. And the, the, the false pastors working for the Vatican, like Rick Warren, Joel Olstein. We talked about all these things. Billy Graham, Rick Warren. Um, there's so many. You know, ultimately, uh, Kenneth Copeland. All of them are just false wolves in sheep's clothing that are designed to slowly work their agenda and poison people with false theology that is making them more susceptible to a cultural union of church and state. Again, if all this sounds crazy to you, go back to those episodes. You'll see all of them meet with the Pope. You'll see all of them the way they talk highly of the Pope. They're pushing the charismatic agenda, which again, Catholics created charismatic, the mother of abominations. Evangelicals are reuniting with the beast. They say the Protestant is, the, pro, the protest is over. Islam is reuniting and they will reunite. The Middle East is designed to bring about a false miracle of peace. All these dialectics of conflict. Oh, what's happening in the Middle East? The Third Temple. Oh my gosh, the Hamas launched some rock. Everybody's attention is on Israel. Tiny little useless country in the middle of the Middle East that has been artificially put there by the Rothschilds designed to take your attention off of the beast system because you're looking at Israel. And it's designed ultimately to bring about a one world religion because when there is peace in the Middle East, and there probably will be, that'll be the beginning of the end because that's ultimately they're, they're trying to unify the world into one religion and one system. And that's going to happen. And that's why they have all these dialectics with the third temple. It's not Bible prophecy being fulfilled, not in the way you think it is, at least. It's a dialectic designed to bring about a one world system. Now we have two more things. This next one is climate change. And of course, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because you're probably already familiar with that dialectic. But again, look at this stuff. COP26 did not go far enough. It's time to take the Pope Francis approach to climate change. I wonder what that approach is all about. The COP26 climate summit in Glasgow was a tale of two cities. And this is very interesting, guys. Listen to this. One afloat on bold pledges and new promises, the other ones sinking under the weight of Greta mania and the chance of blah, blah, blah from the followers of the Swedish environmental activist Greta Thunberg. Not even Barack Obama's celebrated oratory or a surprise U.S.-China cooperation pact could reconcile the differences. So you have this dialectic between the liberals, Greta Thunberg, and somebody else. Let's see. To better understand the contrast, the contrast, another key word, contrast between what? Between dark and light. We can explore another pair... <laughs> of cities, Paris, where a climate accord was hammered out in 2015, versus Rome and its body of Catholic thought. Oh my goodness, this is just too good. They reveal vastly different perspectives on climate change. So you have Paris, which is the home of what? The French Revolution, 
where you have atheism, liberalism, communism came out of it. Everybody's talked about the Paris Accord being so horrible. But then you have Rome, which is supposedly the light of reason on this matter. We got to go with the Pope Francis approach. Do you remember how Rome was Babylon, king of the north, Paris's secularism, Egypt, king of the south? Do you start to see how this is all working together? Paris is the big bad boogeyman of climate accord that's just terrible. We don't want Greta Thunberg. We want the Pope's opinion on climate change. Do you see how they work together? It's just, it's really, it's it's pretty profound how they tie these two things together to basically manipulate people into their agenda. This is big earth energy. A new era of nature spirituality is here. A few months ago, Colleen Kane realized she was falling out of touch with her spiritual side of life. She felt lost. For her, reviving it meant drawing closer to the earth. So Kane, 28, revived practices she had started but set aside earlier in her 20s. And she added new ones, checking an astrology newsletter and doing rituals outside during new and full moons. This is pagan stuff. Meditating with crystals, looking for ways to integrate with and be guided by ancestors who she believes have passed on through a mysterious energy that binds all living things. This is pagan worship witchcraft. There are no ancestors guiding you. These are demons. Look at this. Why paganism and witchcraft are making a comeback. All this is going to tie into climate change. You'll see how. Look at these people. They're all Wiccas. And no, we're white witches, not dark witches. You're still a witch. Whether you're Wicca or you're you know, a black witch or a white witch doesn't matter. Pagan witch, paganism and witchcraft are making a comeback. There's no such good as, there's no such thing as good paganism. Beware the new age, Vatican tells Flock. Let's see how this ties into it. The Vatican is to urge Catholics to resist experimenting in cranky alternative lifestyles in an attempt to prevent its flock being led astray by the growing popularity of new age spiritualism. Interesting how there's an enemy to the, the again, it's, <laughs> look, let's take a break here. The, the, the real enemy to Babylon is the gospel. That's the real enemy. If you see an enemy that Babylon is highlighting for you, like the New Age or secularism, very much it is a dialectic. It's designed to wiggle its way around and basically point back to Babylon in some shape or form. It's not because Babylon actually sees New Age as an enemy. Babylon is Antichrist. As long as you're not worshiping the gospel, they could care less. But it does want world power, and it will integrate New Age spiritualism into its ideas. But again, watch watch the dialectic. On one side, it says, beware the New Age. The Vatican tells them, you can't do these things. You can't be, you know, watch out for this pagan stuff. But now let's read Laudato Si, which is the famous encyclical by Pope Francis about all this earth worship. How does it begin? Praise be to you, my Lord. In the words of his beautiful canticle, St. Francis of Assisi reminds us that our common home is like a sister with whom we share our life and a beautiful mother who opens her arms to embrace us. So they're personifying the earth. Praise be to you, my Lord, through our sister, Mother Earth who sustains and governs us and who produces various fruit with colored flowers and herbs. So, wait a minute. 
on one side, they're saying, beware the new age practices. Don't do that. On another side, the Pope Francis approach to climate change, which was mentioned in that previous article, is Laudato Si. It's this encyclical. And what does Laudato Si say? Oh, it says Mother Earth. We, we have an embracing mother, and we, she's caring for us, and Mother Earth is a pagan thing. It's, 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 you know, feminine divinity and sacred feminine and fertility worship, all this kind of stuff. It's pagan. So one side they're telling you, don't be pagan. On the other side, they're saying, no, 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 be pagan in our way. Do it through our method. Do you see what's going on here? Again, it's dialectics. All these are dialectics. But I want to introduce you to an interesting article written by Helena Blavatsky. If you remember her, she was the grandmother of the New Age movement. Very influential figure, total Luciferian. But what does she say? Theosophy or Jesuitism? She opens this with a quote from Joshua. (laughs) Interestingly enough, Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites. And this is a very interesting thing that she wrote about, and it's very much poking at this duality of dark and light. But I'm going to highlight something that she said. Therefore, the present opportunity is taken to state once for all the views which theosophists and occultists entertain with regard to the society of Jesus. So what is what does the Luciferians think about the Jesuits? At the same time, all those who are pursuing in life's great wilderness of vain, evanescent pleasures and empty co- conventionalities, an ideal worth living for, are offered the choice between the two now once more rising powers, the Alpha and the Omega, at the two opposite ends of the realm of the giddy, idle existence, theosophy and Jesuitism. So she's saying, which one do you want? Are you going to take the red pill or the blue pill? Do you see how this works? Do you want theosophy, which is the light of Lucifer, or do you want Jesuitism, which is the dark? Watch what she says. For in the field of religious and intellectual pursuits, these two are the only luminaries, a good and an evil star, truly glimmering once more from behind the mists of the past and ascending on the horizon of mental activities. They are the only two powers capable in the present day of extricating one thirsty for intellectual life from the clammy slush of the stagnant pool known as the modern society, so crystallized in its cant, so dreary and monotonous in its squirrel-like motion around the wheel of fashion. Really, they're the only two powers that can liberate you? No, I, I beg to differ. There's only one power, and that's the power of the gospel. But moving on. Theosophy and Jesuitism are the two opposite poles, one far above and the other far below, even that stagnant marsh. Both offer power, one to the spiritual, the other to the psychic and intellectual ego in man. The former is the wisdom that is from above, pure, peaceable, gentle, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, while the latter is the wisdom that descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. One is the power of light, and the other that of darkness. So, very important text here from the grandmother of the New Age movement. She recognized that the New Age is the light, the Jesuits are the dark. They're both on the same spectrum. Now, we know that God doesn't have duality within him. He created duality in the world. Things are dualistic, but he doesn't have duality in There's no darkness in God, so there's no opposite of God. God is not on a spectrum where there's an opposite to him. Okay, the devil and God are not on the same spectrum. God is the creator. The devil is a created being. So this dark to light is on the same spectrum. They're on the same snake, 
One head is a black snake, one head is a white snake. This is what you have to realize. And the more you look into this, the more you realize it's just games. They're just one snake with two heads. Liberating Theosophy from Jesuitism. A few reasons to be confident about the future by Carlos Aveline. Very interesting uh, article here as well. One can see three main periods in the history of modern theosophical movement, of which there of which the third period is still waiting to be awakened into proper action. Really, I think it's awakening now. That would be my guess with the Great Awakening. The first period took place between 1875 and 1891. During it, the seeds of future universal brotherhood were planted in the good soil of an ailing civilization. There's that term brotherhood again, which the Pope uses too. That initial moment was blessed with the direct assistance given by a number of high initiates from around the world some of them living in mountains and caves. There's again, caves and pagans. They love their caves. Others linked to the Greek-Egyptian traditions or to the ancient schools of esoteric wisdom in Southern and Northern America. The second period is probationary. It brought about the dying of the planted seeds during the silent and invisible process of germination. It corresponds to the difficult period during which the weeds of pseudo-theosophy and Jesuitic ritualism dominated most of the theosophical topsoil. It is not over yet, so the dark wasn't over yet. The third phase corresponds to the healthy growth of the seedlings of universal brotherhood in direct contact with sunlight. <laughs> there again, the light. whose light is that? I wonder. They worship the sun, and of course that's worshiping Lucifer. It can fully develop only after the uprooting from the theosophical ground of the top-down priestly structures based on blind belief. Again, there's di- dialectics between theosophy and in Jesuitism. In the first part of the 21st century, the, the movement seems to be somewhere in the transition between phase two and phase three. An understanding of theosophical philosophy is enough for the student to see that he can rely on the success of the present transition. They will be successful in reaching their capstone of a light world order. What you're seeing now with the communists and everything, you know, W, World Economic Forum and globalism, deep state, this is the dark world order. That's not going to happen. It's going to be a light world order. Because remember, the Bible says that it'll be like the days of Noah. People will be eating and drinking and giving in marriage. Why? Because they've taken the mark. It Life is going to be good for them. It's going to be an abundant, seemingly abundant, great society to live in. But it's going to come at the ultimate price. And this is the deception the dark world order, the communist agenda 2030, this is not what you think it is. I'm sure they have an agenda, but it's not going to play out like some communist system. It's going to be a nationalist religio-political system because this is what the Bible says it's going to be. Theosophy, the Jesuits and the Roman Catholic Church. Another interesting thing. We cast our gauntlet at the dogmatic theologians who would enslave both history and science and especially at the Vatican whose despotic pretensions have become hateful to the greater portion of enlightened Christendom. This is H.P. Blavatsky. Again, she's major Luciferian Satanist. Who's enlightened Christendom? Who's who's enlightened in that Christendom? Are you talking about maybe people like Thomas Jefferson who rejected Christ, found their own, you know, Christian version of the Bible? The Jesuits have practiced not only cultism, but black magic in its worst form more than any other body of men, and to it they owe in large measure their power and influence. H.P. Blavatsky, 
Theosophy or Jesuitism, the article that we just read. So you are looking at a very profound statement here. We looked at a lot of quotes about the Jesuits, but this one tells you something very profound. And it's from somebody who is a Lucifer, who's a Satanist, who worships the devil, who's saying, look, this organization has used black magic more than any other organization in the world to gain power. That's a pretty striking statement from somebody who openly embraces Lucifer, don't you think? So what do we make of this? Well, (laughs) climate change is just another dialectic to unite people around the beast using nature, Mother Earth. The New Age seems like it's in opposition to the Catholic Church, but again, papacy is going to bring in all of these people under the banner of taking care of Mother Earth. We all have the same God. We have to prevent climate change. We have to prevent wastefulness. I mean, we have to get in tune with the environment. And we'll, let's spin it a little bit with, you know, add God in there a little bit to make it seem good. But it's ultimately going to be about control. They'll bring all these pagans into control because that's what Constantine did. And he created Catholicism ultimately in 321 AD. He brought in all the pagans and he did it very successfully. Do you think that history won't repeat itself? It will. Mother of Harlots <laughs> is there for a reason. And the Mother of Harlots is going to bring back all her little harlots back into submission. You look at, for example, the Green Sunday movement. We'll talk about this more in the Mark of the Beast episode, but there's a movement to make a Green Sunday a day of rest for the environment. Now, if you remember... The Catholic Church prides itself on changing the day of rest from the seventh day to the first day. Will that be part of the obedience that's required to be in the new world system? Who knows? But watch what this climate change dialectic does, because it's a dialectic. It's not, they don't care about the environment. They care about control and bringing all the religions and perspectives and new age and everybody unto the beast and submission unto the beast. We have one more little thing to look at, and that is the kings of the earth giving power to the beast, the mother of abominations. Now, let's look at the Mystery Babylon article. We looked at this earlier, but again, this this guy really nails it. It's just, it's so good. It's just so good. And if you are new to this, then it's a good thing to review. The identity of Mystery Babylon was clearly known even before the canon was closed. Mystery Babylon is neither the United States, New York, London, Mecca, Jerusalem, or Medina. Mystery Babylon is Rome, with the Vatican at its very core. The Bible calls Mystery Babylon a city, not a nation. Catholic Rome claims to be the eternal city and the holy city. It also espouses to be the new Jerusalem. The Bible explicitly says the woman is that great city. The Apostle Peter provides an essential clue when he references Rome as Babylon, which is, we talked about that in the first uh, letter, First Peter. The literal city of Babylon was only a small backwater when Peter penned these words. He was speaking metaphorically, of course. This documented mention of Babylon as Rome is one of the reasons for the Apostle Peter's connection to the city of Rome. Rome was labeled Babylon by Tertullian, Jerome, Augustine, the Sibylline Oracles, and Jewish apocalyptic literature. Commentary within the Geneva Bible explicitly states the harlot of Revelation as Rome. It is seen as a second Babylon because, like the first Babylon, Rome was responsible for the destruction of Jerusalem. Babylon is also found as a name for for Rome in the Apocrypha. So, Mystery Babylon is Rome, very clearly so. 
Now let's look at this, Pergamos, Satan's throne. Mystery Babylon harkens back to the Babylonian Empire. When Babylon was destroyed, Satan needed a new epicenter to disseminate his lies in the earth. The capital of cultism shifted from Babylon to Pergamos, which is modern Turkey, in the years prior to John's revelation. It was here that the altar of Zeus, which in Latin is Jupiter or the Greek Saturn, Kronos, referred to as Satan, uh, Satan's seat in Revelation 2, was very prominent in the city. Masonic writer Robert McCoy reveals that Baal was the, the Saturn of Greece and Rome. Helena Blavatsky also confirms that Saturn is Baal. We looked at that. Saturn was also the Egyptian god Set, and of course all these things tie to Allah as well. It's again the god of many names. This altar to Satan under the many monikers now resides in Berlin for anyone who cares to pay the museum admission fee. Carl Heumann discovered it in 1864, transporting it brick by brick to Berlin in 1930. Although Satan, Satan's throne made it to Germany, the apostate religious system took a more circuitous route, finally ending up in Rome. Adolf Hitler, who was a Catholic, used his altar's design for his backdrop at the Nuremberg Nazi Congress rally in 1935. Brock Obama also chose a similar design for his DNC convention in Denver. These people worship the occult, and they know the truth of what these things represent. They do it in plain sight. The Migration of Mystery Babylon. Mystery Babylon set up a pontiff in Rome, which became the priesthood. It was always the desire of mystery religions to control both the political and religious realms. This desire reached full fruition when the Romans accepted the pontiff as a leader. Julius Caesar was made a pontiff, Pontifex Maximus, of the Babylonian order in 74 BC. Thus, the first Roman emperor became the head of the Babylonian priesthood and Rome the successor of Babylon. This is what it's all about. And you have a little map here, Babylon to Pergamos to Rome. Interesting how that works, doesn't it? I mean, it's just so fascinating if you learn your history. And of course, it's a great article on how mystery Babylon and who it is. We we have a whole episode on this, but, uh, you know, you, you have... One thing I want to highlight in this was something actually more poignant to this whole kings of the earth giving their power. The New World Order is birthed. On September 17th, the Club of Rome published a highly confidential report called The Regionalization and Adaptive Model of the Global World System, which was sent to the power elite of the world to be implemented. The document reveals that the club was dividing the world into 10 political economic regions, which it refers to as kingdoms or horns in our study passage course they're studying as well. The Club of Rome during the early 70s launched the framework for the coming one world government which is now in full swing under the guise of Agenda 2030. Carbon credits, global warming initiatives, new age earth-centric worship, ecumenism, spearheaded by the World Economic Forum, closely monitored by the Vatican and her minions. What is the point of this? The point is that they divided the world into 10 kingdoms. And again you can look this presentation up but it's, you know, you've got USA and Canada as one kingdom, Russia and Europe is one of the kingdoms, China, all these different, there's 10 kingdoms. And this is exactly what the Bible predicted. The 10 horns that basically on the beast and they will give their powers, the kings of the earth will give their power to the beast. And so why is this interesting? Because there's so many things happening in the modern day. This is from 2020, dangerous, I told you, this article about uh, the Vatican, the Rothschilds, dangerous alliance of Rothschilds and Vatican of Francis. 
Holy moly, the most globalist and interventionist pope since the Crusades of the 12th century has formalized an alliance with the largest figures in global finance led by none other than the noble banking family, the Rothschilds. The new alliance is a joint venture they call Council for Inclusive Capitalism with the Vatican. You love how they use these words. I mean, they sound so good. The venture is one of the more cynical and given the actors most dangerous frauds being promoted. So basically they have a venture that is... The, the kings of the earth are giving, what are they doing? They're giving their power to the beast. You're going to see this over and over again. Pope, Pope urges all religions to unite for peace and justice. Pope Francis urged members of all religions and those belonging to no church on Wednesday to unite to defend justice, peace, and the environment. There it is again. Let's defend Mother Earth. And not to allow the value of a person to be reduced to what he produces and what he consumes. Oh, of course, it sounds just so noble but it has nothing to do with the gospel. This is a social justice gospel. And again, you see him here pictured with the Orthodox patriarch. I don't know who, which one it is, but you know, they're both smiling. Of course, one world religion, this is, you know, look, they know their history. This Orthodox patriarch smiling and shaking the Pope's hand. Behind this smile is, there's so much going on here. They know the persecution that the papacy brought upon the Orthodox and like we read, the fall of 204, they know the history. They know that they brought them communism and murdered millions of people as a result of leaving the church and cursing the Pope. So they know what's going on. And so the Pope is smiling and saying, yeah, you know who's in control. And the Orthodox Patriarch is smiling and saying, yep, I know who's in control. Don't worry, we'll, we'll bow down pretty soon. This is what's going on in these pictures. You have to know your history. I mean, it's just... It's just crazy. Pope Francis urges Iraq's Muslims Christians to unite for peace. Pope Francis traveled to the ancient city of Ur in southern Iraq to reinforce his message of interfaith tolerance. Isn't that funny? Remember remember what they say about religious freedom in countries where there's not a lot of Catholicism? Remember that? Well, this is exactly what's happening here. Interfaith tolerance is just religious freedom, which means we need more Catholics and Catholic influence in this part of the world. Because if there were, they wouldn't be doing that. Vatican News. Pope in Kazakhstan. Religions are the key to building world peace and understanding. Are they really? No, Christ is, not religions. In his address at the 7th Congress of the Leaders of World and Traditional Religions, so there's a congress for that, in Zultan, Kazakhstan, Pope Francis underscores how religions need to grow in friendship in order to respond to the thirst for world peace and for the infinite that dwells in the heart of each of us. There's so much nonsense in this thirst for world peace. Well, who's bringing chaos onto the world anyway? It's Mystery Babylon, the mother of abominations and harlots of the earth. Now she's saying, we will bring you the peace. We are the ones who brought you the dark. Now I want to bring you the light. Do you see how this works? Good cop, bad cop. Just so crazy. The World Alliance of Religions Peace Summit. This is a picture from, I believe, 2017 or 2014. World Alliance of Religions in Korea, South Korea. Look at all of these different religious representatives. They're all aligning to have world peace and unified. But the question is, who is the sovereign authority that will determine the agreements that these religions operate by? Who is that authority? That's going to be the beast. The kings of the earth are giving their power to the beast. 2019 World Peace Summit, 
fifth anniversary of the WARP Summit. It's an interesting acronym because they have such a warped perspective. The 2019 World Peace Summit, fifth anniversary of the WARP Summit, was held in Korea around the globe under the slogan, DPCW for Change, Peace for All. Everyone worships the same God. The ceremony was witnessed at 19 locations in 19 cities of South Korea and some 147 locations in 112 countries. Pretty big deal. Civil societies around the world are actively participating in changing the world in crisis to a peaceful place. 113 countries, 160 locations. So this is a big deal. This is world peace. Look at the heavenly culture, world peace, restoration of light. Anytime you see these kind of things like light, it's not the light of Christ. This is the false light of Lucifer. This is theosophy. This is Luciferian. Mankind cannot bring himself world peace. This is nonsense. That's the whole point of the Bible is that you can't save yourself. This is another site called religionsforpeace.org. Our goal is committed to leading effective multi-religious responses to the world's pressing issues. We believe ambitious goals and complex problems can be tackled when different faith communities work together. What does this even mean? <laughs> I mean, you know, you have to, this is like doublespeak all the time. They never give you something specific because they don't deal with the truth. They deal in error. And so they have to dress their comments with lies. Cardinal claims there's a secret plot to oust Pope Francis. Conservative-leaning clergy want the progressive pontiff out, says the Italian daily La Stampa. Of course, it's got a picture here with the Pope frowning or putting his hand in his face. Oh my gosh, what's going on with the Pope? Following the death of Pope Benedict, a group of cardinals in the Vatican has embarked on a project to pressure the sitting Pope Francis to resign, an unnamed cleric told the Turin-based La Stampa. This revelation of a supposedly secret plot has been picked up by the other outlets, notably several tabloids in the UK. Okay, first and foremost, do you really think that you're going to find out of a secret plot within the Vatican? I don't think so. I don't think so, my friends. It's all being leaked to create dialectics. And probably if the next pope that comes along is going to be super conservative, how is that going to play into all the the one world system that they're getting. Do you see how this works? The Pope is the enemy now, the progressive Pope. We need a conservative Pope. Of course, because he's the big bad boogeyman of the Jesuit Pope that's doing all this unraveling. And so we need to bring in the conservative Pope that's going to lock things down. The first one was the destroyer. The second one is the unifier. This is how these dialectics work. And again, we could spend probably another five hours on this stuff, but I hope that you see the truth. And here's here's some final thoughts for you. The kings of the earth, politics and religion, they will give their power to the beast because that's what the Bible predicts. It's very obvious. Again, if you have eyes to see all these things I've shared with you, they're all pointing in the same direction. Remember that the little horn has power by his cunning. They, they work mischief at the same table. It's by deception. They aren't using military, their own military. They're using cunning and political intrigue and, and occult power, obviously. There's going to be one world religion, one world government, and that's unstoppable. But that government is a light world order. It's not the deep state. It's not the big bad communist boogeyman. It's going to be a light world order, probably Christian nationalist in, in shape and form. But it's going to be conservative. It's going to be 
an image of what the first system was, which was a complete controlling fascist system. The image is being built right now. We looked at that. But the dialectics have been going on for a very long time. Satan uses dark and light. Remember the Baphomet? They all worship the devil. The Baphomet has a light in the dark. That's Satan's promise to you, that you can be like God by knowing good and evil. But you don't. You don't know what's good and evil. You don't know what's light or dark without God, without the the light of the gospel. But Satan tries to be God, so he uses these dialectics to bring about his agenda. God is allowing it because ultimately he will bring justice upon the world and it furthers his history, his purposes in revealing who he is and revealing his justice and testing the elect. There's a purpose for evil in this life. The French Revolution accelerated these dialectics to bring about ultimately the union of church and state, ping pong left and right. And there's a biblical basis to this too. If you know the story of King Jehu and Jezebel, Jezebel was an idolater. They had a very dark system, worshiping Baal. King Jehu was brought to bring justice on Jezebel, but then King Jehu ended up worshiping golden calves. So you had the light versus the dark, and God used one against the other, and this is exactly what's happening. From their perspective, probably they think they're going to win. Nothing can stop what is coming. You're right, yeah, nothing can stop what is coming. Jesus is returning, and he's going to deliver justice. But the light will win, and of course, there will be some temporary time where we think that we're in a utopia. But from God's perspective, he's using the light side to judge the dark, which he's done throughout history. Every empire has judged the previous. And so this is the same thing happening. There's a biblical basis for it, and it's happening in our life as well. The light side will be judged when Christ returns, but there were they will have their system, the one world system, the one world religion, the mark of the beast. That's going to happen because the Bible says it's going to happen. So they will have their heyday. But remember this, the papacy is the beast. The the books of Daniel, the book of Daniel gives the political aspects. Paul gives us some ecclesiastical aspects of this character. John gives us a mix of both in his revelations. Not one of these texts is completely 100%. You have to read all three of them together. Revelation 17, very clearly, Mystery Babylon is the papacy. It, it shows a union of ecclesiastical and political power. The woman and the beast is a union of church and state. The papacy had a mortal wound done to it by its own kind, the Jesuits. Again, it seemed like it had a mortal wound. 1798, it ruled for 1260 years. French Revolution also killed the two witnesses, which is the word of God. Remember that whole episode? But the two witnesses was killed by what? The beast that rises from the bottomless pit. That beast started to come out of the bottomless pit in the French Revolution. The beast, the woman riding the beast, this final church-state union, began with the French Revolution. Why? Because the dialectics between left and right that would accelerate this return back to the power of the papacy, that's when they began. The French Revolution started it. Secularism, atheism versus religion and conservatism, the light versus the dark. That dialectic is part of this woman riding the beast and the the beast that came out of the bottomless pit. So it all fits together so beautifully. It really is. The final beast arose in in 1798 during the French Revolution. And all these things that we've been talking about, like communism, liberal versus conservative, Israel, you know, as as a state versus Islam, 
with with dispensationalism and Abrahamic accords and the Abrahamic family house and the Islam being brought back into Catholicism, climate activism, Protestant charismatic movement, all these things, man, it's really profound. I know this has been a very long episode, but it's so profound to see all these threads. You cannot move to the right or to the left. You are surrounded by threads that are pushing you or pulling you to move to the right or to the left. We're seeing all of these things come to a head, and they will come to a head with the solution being world peace and unity under someone. Now, that someone can be the Pope, the papacy, or it can even be a false Christ that they may try to create with the an appearing of Satan as an angel of light, obviously. And, and people will believe because of the third temple and because of all these things that I've shared with you that we are in the millennial kingdom. And of course, that if you are an enemy of the false Christ, then you have to be trotted underfoot because he has to rule while his enemies are under his feet. But if you believe that that's a future reality, then when the false Christ comes, those who actually believe in the real Christ will be the enemies. Do you see how this all plays out? The real millennium is now. The enemies under Christ's feet are Mystery Babylon. And when he returns, he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. There are no more enemies. He ushers in eternity. So if they try to counter do a counterfeit reign, a millennial reign, a counterfeit Christ, that may be part of it. That's worst case scenario. Least case scenario, kings of the earth will give their power to the Pope. He'll be the main peace mediator, and there'll be some sort of Christian nationalist system throughout the world that's exported. It'll probably start in the United States, and it'll be exported to the rest of the world. But I want to leave you with this. First Thessalonians 5, verse 3. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So when they say, peace and safety, you know that that's a big problem. All these people talking about world peace, that we can bring enlightenment and peace and whatever else to us, is they're being deceived by the devil. And when they say peace and safety, when finally they say peace and safety, we have our world peace under Lucifer, we've won. That's when judgment is going to come calling down. So you want to be on the right side of history. And ultimately, part of that is being aware of these things and believing the gospel. So remember that the Bible mentions not to swerve to the left or to the right over 16 times. Walk the narrow road. See beyond left and right. See beyond the dialectic. God is the truth. They can't around. They can't unite around Jesus. So they always have to pick some angle, whether it's the earth or Abraham or Mary or the Holy Spirit or the family or the brotherhood. All these things are just snake talk to seduce you into worshiping the beast. So long episode today. I hope it's been a resource though. Hope it's been a resource for you. I hope it's blessed you. I hope ultimately that it's helped you wake up from this spell. I certainly was caught in it myself and I know how deceptive it can be, but many people are being deceived. And up next will be people who are conservative. They will be deceived by the false light. And I hope that more people wake up to this truth. Until next time, take care, take it easy, stay healthy, and God bless.